This is an ABC podcast. Corbin and Ben on ABC Radio, ABC Sport across the country. Great to have you with us here on a Sunday, just after 4pm Australian Eastern Standard Time. For those of you that don't ordinarily listen in this slot or to this program, we'll catch you up to speed pretty quick. We'll chop up everything that's taking place in the world of footy. AFL Executive General Counsel and now the General Manager of Football, Andrew Dillon, is going to be our special guest. We'll also speak to the best newsbreaker in footy, Mitch Cleary, the latest on the trade space, and Brendan Goddard in studio, the voice of Goddard, as we count down to the AFL Grand Final. I'm Corbin Middlemass in our Melbourne studios out west is Ben Cameron. And Ben, after the Ben Brown of run-ups, we're finally here (laughs) as Grand Final Week has started. Ben Brown's just taken his first few steps and he's uh, halfway through his run-up. He's starting to build into a... A little trot. So I like how you put that, Corbin. Very exciting, isn't it? We're less than seven days away. We're into grand final week. Can't wait. The brown load tonight, and that's usually uh, the symbol, for me anyway, of the start of grand final week, normally on a Monday night, Sunday for the last two years. So looking forward to that this evening. I've got a lot of brown load stuff for you, uh, Ben. Our experts... Across the course of the season, Cameron Ling, Adam Ramanaskis, Mark McClure, Brendan Goddard, Brett Delidio, uh, right over the country, Rod Jamison, Brad Saul, Lauren Arnell, Shane Woden, Michael Braun, whoever it may be, they are really good judges of the game. So we're going to analyse the votes in the ABC Footballer mm. of the Year to see how they came up and whether it gives us any kind of guide heading into Brownlow Medal Night. Does it, does it feel like Grand Final Week in Perth? How'd you go getting through this, this bye? Uh, we actually called the A-grade... Uh, amateur finals over here yesterday, Corbin, which is something we do each and every year as um, somewhat of a, a, a gift, if you will, back to, to local football and try and pump up that competition. Um, so, yeah, I, I, it does feel like grand final week now. I think there's a number of people who are going to the Brownlow medal tonight um, in football circles, the people that, that I see anyway, and, and I think it does feel like grand final week is upon us. Thanks to Vintage Grandstand as well, Al and um, Sellers, and of course, Clenchy just moments ago. Uh, um, uh, Man at the end, of course, a champion mm. of uh, both South Fremantle and the Melbourne Football Club, part of that uh, that famous premiership team in 1964. So um, tremendous to relive that. Like all of our programs, Vintage Grandstand, us here on Corbin and Ben, the best place to find it if you missed it and want it in its entirety is under the best of Grandstand folder, Ben, in the podcast store. I've actually had the good fortune of interviewing Hassaman on stage at a function in South Fremantle, has the connection with South Fremantle and the WAFL. And uh, growing up, Corbin, you know I used to go to the football a lot with my neighbour and he used to always tell me the stories of Hassaman when I used to mark it on my chest. He'd say, get your hands out in front. And that's what Hassaman would say. So believe it or not, Hassaman, when he came across from Melbourne to South Fremantle, Corb taught the team about the importance of not marking on your chest, Mm. but getting your hands out in front, making it harder for the defender to spoil. That is his legacy in WA football. I always remember Jeff Edgar, my footy coach down at the Bibberley Bandicoots, used to always tell me to mark it in front of my face because you'd never drop it. Otherwise, of course, you'd, you'd end up with a bit of damage after that. But nice little anecdote to get going. Uh, this is Corbin and Ben, what we like to do ordinarily on a Monday. Our show usually airs Monday and Thursday from 5 p.m. Eastern on ABC Sport Digital. But we love to either flesh it out or throw it out. 
So it's pretty complex stuff, but if you'll stay with me, essentially I'll read the topics and Ben will decide whether he wants to flesh them out and discuss them further or simply throw them out. So we'll start, Ben, with the pre-grand final buy. Do you want to flesh it out or throw it out? Let's flesh it out. And I know you played some audio earlier, Corbin, of Gillam McLaughlin speaking about the pre-finals buy uh, yesterday on Sports Talk in WA. So... We might hear from Gill in just a moment. He didn't sound overly wedded to the idea, and and I'm probably someone who's a no. I, I don't like the idea of the pre-grand final buy. I didn't like it as the pre-finals buy. I think it disadvantages the team that have or the teams that have won right throughout the season and finished in the top four and earned the week off to rest, recover, recuperate for a tilt at a flag. This is what Gil McLaughlin said yesterday. I think there's two parts about that. There is a there is a sort of a fact that the buy is here because of this extraordinary season where we needed a date with some certainty. We wanted to keep momentum up through the home and away, then into the finals with the fact that we're in a COVID era. And then the certainty of a grand final in Perth and then have, wanting to have teams not knowing where they'd come from in quarantine, not knowing the rules, to at least have our best chance of having them come out of quarantine and be best prepared for a grand final and to be able to actually prepare for the grand final. So that's the context. I heard lots there, Ben, along the lines of uh, it's for COVID reasons. I didn't hear a lot to do with the fact that this is what's best for the game. No, he was. He didn't sound wedded to it there, did he? So I'm not sure we'll see it continue. Generally, we haven't seen teams from outside the top four win the flag. Maybe the Bulldogs are about to do it again. And maybe the Bulldogs have been benefited by the by and the way it's worked in both of their premiership seasons if they win this year because seemingly they were in 2016 and they may well be again given their, their travel schedule. Where do you land on it? Uh, I think it's I understand, exactly the same as you. Judging by what Gil said, it sounds like it's not here to stay, but I think it's rich with possibilities. And I'm actually a proponent of it, but if it's done the right way and if the country's open and everyone can sort of converge on one location, you can have it as a standalone weekend for your state league grand finals, which I know Clint Wilden's been pushing for. Um, I think there's a lot that you can do with it. I just don't think the AFL are there yet. I don't think it's part of their plans. And as Jake Nye pointed out weeks ago, that the ticket sales have dramatically increased from 2016 onwards for finals tickets week one. So they're never going to have an issue trying to sell out the grand final. You don't need to make it into a bigger event than what it is. It's going to be the most watched game of the year by a long way anyway. Whereas if you can get, uh, if you can let those first week of finals, those games marinate a little bit more and get more out of them, let some interest gin up, I think that's, um, that's a good thing for the league. And I think they look at it that way. Uh, the Brownlow medal tonight, Ben. Who's going to win? Flesh it out, throw it out. Uh, flesh it out. We've got to discuss this. I've just got this feeling that it's going to be Ollie Wines. I just Ooh. think Port have won enough games. If you look at the... Uh, last six Brownlow medal winners, five of the last six, the team has finished in the top four of the winner. So the one who didn't was Nat Fife in 2019 when Fremantle finished 13th. They had nine wins that season, which is pretty similar to St Kilda, possibly with Jack Steele if there's not too many others who take votes off him. But I just, I do think that it was generally, and I know Brett Delidio made this point earlier, but Wines or Boak for Port Adelaide. So it may well be Wines who, who wins the medal tonight. Which way are you going? Uh, I'm on Clayton Oliver. He won our ABC Footballer of the Year. And I actually think he's graded pretty uh, harsh by our experts. So they're not really big fans, our experts, of accumulators, guys that just get lots and lots of the footy. Clayton but the umpires Oliver, are. Yes. Uh, the umpires generally sort of reward those guys. We've seen Lockie Neal and Tom Mitchell and a number of players in recent years um, that, that put up big numbers, walk away with the medal. So uh, I'm very confident on 
Clayton Oliver. He polls in 13 games with in the ABC Footballer of the Year, only seven bests on ground. So I actually think that there's a number of ones and twos that would be turned into threes with the umpires that our experts have marked them a little harsh. You compare that to the other guys, Wines polls in 11 games. He's got eight bests on. Uh, Bontempelli, we've only got polling in 10, and Jack Steele only in nine. So when Bontempelli polls, he polls really well, but I don't think he'll poll anywhere near in as many games as what someone like Clayton mm. Oliver will. So uh, I'm on, on Clayton tonight. The concern for Clayton is obviously who takes the votes off him. Christian Petrarca is going to poll a lot of votes. Max Gorn may well. I mean, Ruckman generally don't, but perhaps he will. And then for Bont, the same. I mean, McRae's going to get some. He has only had two games where he's got less than 30 possessions this year as an accumulator. He's going to get a lot. We have seen the Brownlow medalists in recent times. They come from good teams. So there's yeah. a lot of votes on offer. And, yeah, I think it's it's no surprise that those guys are up the top of the leaderboard again for uh, from the final four teams. We'll do more on that a little bit later. Ben Cousins attending tonight. Ben, flesh it out, throw it out. Uh, throw it out. We'll throw that one out. Absolutely concur. Uh, mark of the year, flesh it out, throw it out. Flesh it out. This is a big part of the night tonight, isn't it, with the Brownlow medal. And uh, I think the winner should be Jack Rewalt with the uniqueness of his mark, the fact that he was running back with the flight. He got the extra elevation, the extra boost. I don't think we've really seen a mark like that before so I think maybe other than his cousin but that was even different still so Jack Rewalt and I think it goes to Caleb Sarong for goal of the year I I commentated one of the other nominees in Marcus Bontempelli's goal where he defied the laws of physics with his snap but I I think Caleb Sarong who have you got winning Uh, you've preempted exactly where I was going with that Ben so I might just play the ABC audio of both of that Jack Rewalt's mark and Caleb Sarong's goal Keys can't get the clearance now Curvis follows up his right work ricochets a hand out to Graham who turns and kicks inside the 50 oh Oh! back with a flight so courageous (laughs) as the pack is crashed (laughs) Marmiel Chol coming one direction Jack Rewalt with the other Oh, that is so courageous from Jack. Grodin got Eagles to beat. Got a hand pass away. This is wrong. Bumped off it. Gets up. Throws it on the boot. Oh, that's incredible. Last year's rising star with nothing to aim at it. Right full forward has kicked his second. How on earth? He got bumped to ground by Sheen. Bobbed up. Just threw it on the boot. It's found a way through the goals. We are spoilt in ordinary times for what these players are able to produce each year. I must admit, Ben, I don't think it's the strongest goal of the year field and what we've had in previous years, albeit the winner's a ripper in, in Caleb Sarong, uh, whereas the marks, you could go any which way. The yeah. three that are up, Shea Bolton, uh, Tim O'Brien, and, and obviously Jack, which, um, yeah, we're, we're in agreement there. Uh, Carlton's coach slash CEO search. Flesh it out, throw it out. Flesh it out. I'll be interested to hear your opinion here, Corbin. I'll let you start. Do you think the fact that Luke Sayers has been able to convince Brian Cook to join Carlton as the CEO changes Alistair Clarkson's likelihood of coaching at the club next year? I think it surely has to change the mind of a number of people. I mean, Brian Cook's such a good operator. Huge get for Carlton. I must admit something I didn't think they had in them, given the fact that everyone sort of had seemed to be uh, taking a little bit of a wide berth uh, from this program, really, in recent times, and um, the commentary around it hasn't been good. Um, so I, didn't, I certainly didn't think they were going to nail a guest, uh, yeah, nail a um, a CEO quite like Brian Cook. So I didn't think that was in their capabilities. But it has to completely reshape the the coaching search, despite the fact we've heard reports all the way that oh now it's down to to Voss and Kingsley. Surely the presence of Brian Cook and as the chief executive that he must get at least a say or, or have to rubber stamp it. Surely, you would think so. I think it would 
change your perspective. I'm a believer in Brian Cook, clearly what he's done at West Coast and also Geelong over a, a far longer period of time. Um, I think it would change Alistair Clarkson's likelihood. He might hold firm, but I, I think it would sell some level of stability that Alistair Clarkson would be craving if he went into the role. Uh, Cochin leaving, as or not leaving, but certainly handing back the captaincy at the Tigers. Flesh it out, throw it out. Throw it out. We we did it during the week. It's grand final week. The Tigers aren't there. Grand final entertainment. Flesh it out, throw it out. Uh, throw it out. Squad mentality. Medals for every player rather than just the 23. Flesh it out, throw it out. This is the most boring annual conversation. Throw it out. And the game itself, the Melbourne and the Western Bulldogs, we've been asking the question all year here mm. on Corbin and Ben. Flesh it out, throw it out. Uh, let's flesh that out. Has anything happened this week to change your tip in the grand final? Not particularly. And and I am – I still think – I think Melbourne should be winning. I think Melbourne are the, the better team. The Western Bulldogs have had to take the long way around the mountain. They're a little bit beaten up. But I did find these numbers particularly interesting, Corbin. You and I have been debating all year, and you've been saying, look, Melbourne's defence will hold firm, and that's why they'll win. They're the best defensive team they're like a machine. They all know what they're doing. They defend really well. The Demons average 89 points for this season, 64 against. The Dogs average 95 for 67 against. So if you combine those two, I mean, there's slightly more of an advantage to the, the Dogs, if you will, on the raw numbers. But the Demons' defense is very, very strong, and that is going to be something that um, the Dogs are going to have to overcome. I know you're on the Demons, Corbin. Yep, still happy to be on the days. I'm not worried about this one game in 28 days and the hard training session and Spargo's ankle and uh, everything else that surrounds it. I, I know we're all searching for storylines. I actually think they'll go in underchanged. So I don't, I don't think I don't think May will miss. I don't think Spargo will miss. I don't think Jaden Hunt will force his way into the team. So I think we'll see the same Melbourne team for all three finals. They play the same 23 in the quality and the prelim, and I think they'll go in with that same look. I've got some concerns about Stephen May, which we'll speak to Brendan Goddard about. He's here. He's coming up shortly on The Voice of Goddard. This is Corbin and Ben, ABC Radio and ABC Sport across Australia. But up next, the AFL's general counsel is an executive. He's also the new general manager of footy after the restructure at the AFL during the week. Andrew Dillon is going to join us right here on Corbin and Ben, ABC Radio across Australia. Arts, politics and culture from a range of Indigenous perspectives. On Speaking Out. We're seeing a lot of our people, young people, going away. We should be guiding them. We must have a country to call our own. A lot of our women were taking their children back into the bush and hiding. Speaking Out with Larissa Berendt. Sundays at 9pm on ABC Radio. Corbin and Ben, ABC Sport across the country. Brendan Goddard coming up shortly for the voice of Goddard. That's how we're going, Ben. I haven't even called for talkback yet. We will have the opportunity for you to have your say later on one 558 And yet Paul from Darwin is already here with us. Hello, Paul. Hi, good evening, guys. What have you I got for us? No, who do you have? Time or the full-time entertainment can be a perfect. The half-time and the full-time ent- uh, t- entertainment at uh, the Grand you know? Final. Have you got that answer, Ben? Yeah, Birds of Tokyo are going to, to headline it, uh, Paul. So they'll be the, the main act. They're going to be joined by a couple of others, but predominantly Birds of Tokyo. 
Are you a fan yeah, of I've them, seen Paul? Them before they aren't too bad, actually. Hmm. Yeah, we hmm. played a little bit of their music last week, so they're going to be one of the headliners. Says I think John Butler Trio are going to feature as part of it as yeah. well. A former guest on this show, Baker Boy. Wow. He will be there, so uh, he'll be performing. I think he maybe has come in from Darwin, Paul, up in your neck of the woods. So, um, yeah, those are a couple. Abby May as well. Uh, Corbin and Ben, ABC Sport across the country. Uh, Brennan Goddard coming up shortly for the voice of Goddard. Uh, but the announcement during the week, Ben, the AFL's legal boss and general counsel, AFL executive, is now also going to be the general manager of football after a restructure of the footy operations program. And I'm pleased to say that Andrew Dillon joins us on Corbin and Ben, ABC Sport across the country. Andrew, appreciate your time. Oh, thanks for having me, Corbin. G'day, Ben. Have you got the tux all sorted, ready to go for tonight? Oh, I have got the tux boarded over from Melbourne, so just uh, dusting it off. And, uh, yeah, looking forward to tonight. But, uh, hopefully we're going to have a really exciting count. And, uh, um, you know, there's been some great football play this year and some, you know, individual brilliance. So uh, really looking forward to seeing what happens. Andrew, we see you sitting up there on the panel next to Gill as he reads out all of the votes. What is your official capacity tonight? My role is just to try and keep, uh, make sure Gill concentrates and reads, uh, reads all the, you know, gets the rounds <laughs> right and reads them out in order. That's uh, you know, just got to keep him focused. Um, but yeah, look, we'll, uh, you know, the votes we, we brought them over from Melbourne, you know, via Armagard during the week. KPMG have been keeping an eye on them and auditing them, and so. They're going to get dropped off at uh, Optus Stadium at about, I think, 4 o'clock Perth time this afternoon. And so my job really is just to keep an eye on them once they're delivered and uh, make sure that you know, they get opened up and then Gil reads them out in order. You lost a good one in Steve Hocking, obviously, is now the new chief executive of the Geelong Football Club. And what a beefed-up footy ops department you were able to uh, unveil this week. We had the chance to, to chat with Laura Kane, super impressive, out of the North Melbourne Football Club. And Brad Scott was also on ABC Radio this weekend on the lead, obviously, to work in this new-look uh, football department. Can you first tell us as to um, why the change was necessary and how the new structure is going to work? Yeah, sure. Look, I mean... Steve, Steve leads a great legacy for you know, his four or five years at the AFL, you know, brought in some an amazing amount of change. And um, remembering that Steve started in 2017, so for example, which was um, the first year of AFLW, and just seeing the way that the, the remit of, of the footy operations department with the advent of AFLW and the um, continued evolution and expansion of that competition, and also bringing in a, a real focus on mental health with, with an appointment of uh, Dr. Kate Hall a few years back. So... The remit and the operation of the footy ops department has just become, you know, it, it's just increased and increased. So what we've been lucky enough to do also as part of the restructure is um, set up a, a role of general manager of football, which is going to look at, you know, umpiring, um, score review system, player movement, mismanagement, um, laws of the game and game analysis. And also at the same time, being able to have a competition management role, which looks after not just the AFL and AFLW, but also the second tier of footy being the VFL and VFLW, as well as recently where there's been a massive focus for the AFL in relation to COVID compliance and how we navigate um, all the different rules and regulations in the states and territories. So we came up with these two senior sort of general manager roles in addition to um, Kate Hall, who runs the mental health, and Nicole Livingston with AFLW. And we've just been really lucky to uh, land two highly potential people who've, um, you know, Laura coming straight out of a senior role at North Melbourne and Brad who's had a 18 or so months at the AFL but before that being a senior coach for 10 plus years so they bring that really recent club experience but also you know very highly educated and intelligent young people who I'm really looking forward to working with. 
Andrew, the delineation of the roles, as it was explained to us by Laura, was that it's basically on-field and off-field. And you've spoken a little bit about um, the skills that both of them bring there at the back end of your, your answer. But why these two? Why did you specifically want Laura Kane and, and Brad Scott? Well, I think they just... When, when we um, we had some um, really quality people um, interview for the roles and, you know, and, and there was a number of really worthy candidates, but it just worked out and, you know, by whether it's a coincidence or not, but they did work very closely at North Melbourne together. So I think they're the breadth of their experience, but I think they're also going to really complement each other. So um, we were, I think, are just really fortunate to have, have had, and I've been working with Brad in his role at AFL Victoria for the last 18 months while he's been in here. And, um, you know, the, the amount of, you know, territory he's covered, he, and I think he, he may have even said it when he was speaking to you guys yesterday, but I've certainly heard him talk previously that most of his experience in, Football has been at well, it had all been at the elite level as a as a player and then a coach. So for him to come back into real grassroots, you know, Victorian football, but he was you know fantastic at getting out and speaking to all the stakeholders in country Victoria and great relationships with the metropolitan leagues in Victoria. So to see the way that um, he's uh, evolved as a football administrator coming from a coach, you know, had him you know really earmarked as a as the perfect person I thought for that role. And Laura is someone who I've um, dealt with also over the journey and um, have looked at, I've really wanted to work more closely with her. And so we were um, really excited when we when we spoke to her that she was able to, you know, she gave up her, I think she leaves North with a bit of a heavy heart because she's really invested there, but also, you know, she's um, excited by the opportunity at the AFL. Andrew Dillon with us, the new general manager of football at the AFL. Uh, just on the judicial system, Andrew, I'm sure a lot of fans are asking this question. Do you think that it needs an overhaul and is it in your plans to give it one? I'm speaking about sort of the MRO, the tribunal, the, the whole lot. Uh, look, the MRO and the tribunal, and I, I've worked pretty closely, well, as in the last part of the year after Steve left, you know, worked really closely with Michael Christian, um, the match review officer. And um, actually, as I got right into it, was amazed at the amount of work that is involved in you know the way that Michael with Tom Gaston and a couple of the other people at the AFL the the quick turnaround and the way that they review the games. But what I also know is, in having been around the AFL for a while, that um, you know the current system of the MRO and the tribunal dates back to Adrian Anderson's sort of first couple of years at the AFL, and it's, I think it's a system that stood the test of time. Albeit we have continually reviewed it and enhanced it as things have needed to change. And so I think that's where we'll go now. So I wouldn't be talking an overhaul, but I think, as we always do, we continue to assess it and enhance it and look at the reasons for having a tribunal and an MRO system. It's really about what we're trying to do is look after the health and safety of the players and also set an example for community football and football at all levels around Australia. So we'll continue to review and assess the MRO and the tribunal system in that light. But the idea of the matrix, you think that'll stay? Again, I... I, I think it served us well for a number of years and I think if there was going to be any change to that it would be a an enhancement or a review rather than an overhaul. I guess the the comment that we hear a lot Andrew is about and it's kind of a, a philosophical question I guess about the action and the outcome so generally players are punished on the the outcome of their action rather than the action itself how does that sit with you broadly I guess? Well, I think if you if you look at the way when we assess it, what we you look at was the was the action um, was it accidental, careless, or intentional, and then you look at what the action was and then the outcome. And so the outcome is important, but it is one of only three factors that we look at. So um, 
I think you have to have outcome is important when you when you're looking at it, but it's but it's absolutely not just the only part of it. So again, we will look at that. And as you know, when we've been pretty clear about um, as we've as the systems evolved, that we've you know looked at things like dangerous tackles, and we have continued to enhance and and review how we looked at that. And I think that's one of the things that we'll we'll continue to look at. And um, have we got that? You know, we'll look at that at the end of this year and and go through all the examples as we looked at them and say, well. This is one that ended up like this when the MRO assessed it. Is that where we want to be? And what I'm hoping, what I'm thinking, what we will do is um, engage the players' association, the players, and the coaches, and make sure that everyone's on the same page and try and get everyone, everyone lined up at the start of the year on that. Andrew Dillon with us on Corbin and Ben, ABC Radio across Australia. Uh, Andrew, for the first time since Adrian Anderson, the head of integrity, uh, sits as the uh, head of football as well. Is that? A deliberate approach, uh, and I guess if so, what sort of scope does that give you that you previously didn't have? Well, I think it's it's probably because of the fact that I, I come with the legal background, and and that um, the sort of the legal and integrity part of setting with my department for you know since Adrian left, and I think it just made sense given my skill set to bring those uh, sort of the integrity and legal closer to football operations. What I do know is that. Yeah, you know, the integrity team that we've got who are doing a you know fantastic job, you know, from the elite competition down at community. They're looking forward to working, you know, really closely with the footy ops department and the feedback from the footy ops is they're also looking forward to working, you know, again more closely with the integrity team. The CBA is up, so uh, there's been a number of different things that have been floated. What are some of the key things that you're working through uh, with the players at the moment? What we're um, what we're working with mainly at the, with the players' association at the moment is um, looking at the you know the financial model for the industry. Um, uh, I think it's pretty well documented that you know COVID has you know it's 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 hit a lot of industries around um, Australia and around the world, and you know AFL is not immune to that. We've been absolutely fortunate that um, you know with the work that's been done by a great team at the AFL, but also the clubs for the players and the staff going on the road for, you know, weeks at a time. You know, the Bulldogs who are over in Perth today coming out today after having 21 days in quarantine. So some amazing sacrifices that have been made by, you know, people working at the AFL, people working at clubs. Our umpiring group, again, have been amazing as well. So what we're looking to do with the Players Association with the CBA is just get an assessment of where the industry's at and, you know, trying to take into account the uncertainties going forward to make sure that we've got a model um, for remuneration and compensation for the players that's sort of fit for purpose, acknowledging the, you know, the sacrifices and the great work that the players have done, but also um, fits in with uh, you know, the, our sort of forward forecast for revenue. It felt like sort of just putting your finger in the wind that the AFL were close to announcing what the salary cap was going to be and the soft cap changes. Is, is that announcement around the corner or has it been delayed? We're working really closely with the Players Association at the moment on the, on the salary cap, and I don't think we're too far away from that. Um, I know that you know with the clubs coming up at the end of the year, having to make decisions in relation to trades, which will be upcoming and free agents. So we're um, very conscious of that, and so we're going to be working you know as quickly as we can with the PA to try and land that for the clubs and also the players to give them you know the certainty that they want. Andrew, moving our way out of the the COVID pandemic, I guess it's something that's a, a hot topic over in Melbourne today. We look to other leagues like the NBA, I guess the EPL. Pat Clifton obviously was at. The AFL is now over at the NBA as to how you can, um, I guess, navigate this next season. Yeah, we have got some really good working relationships with international sports, and yeah, and Pat Clifton, who you know worked at the AFL for a number of years, 
was uh, lucky enough to land a job at the NBA and has been there working with them um, all this year. So it's a, you know, great for us to have a close colleague or close former colleague working at the NBA. So, yeah, there's certainly a lot we can learn from the NBA and the NFL. And in the same breath, because we were one of the first sports that sort of um, got back restarted once the COVID pandemic hit, we've been able to share information with those sports. So it's good to be able to share information both ways. I think what we'll also, again, work really closely with the you know, federal and state governments and, and um, our infectious diseases advisors and all of that to make sure that we're looking after the health and safety of our you know, playing group and the staff at the clubs and also our fans. Uh, just one on uh, stuff that we've seen during COVID time. So same-day travel, chartered flights. Have you seen anything, Andrew, over these last two years that you thought, oh, we, we probably wouldn't have thought to do that previously, but I think that'll stay post-COVID? Are there the different things you think that'll benefit the game going forward? Well, I think what yeah, what I think COVID has done is um, some things that we thought were sort of non-negotiables have shown that they can be negotiated. And to the extent that there's been some clubs this year when they were given the um, the choice between travelling the night before or the same day of a game, actually made the choice to travel same day. So I think things like that and charter flights in the right instances as well can um, you know. Obviously, you've got to take a, a financial lens to some of these things, but when you can you can make it work financially, I think charter flights are, are some things which have been sort of off limits. I think they're in certain circumstances they might work as well. So, uh, COVID's been really tough for a lot of people, but it has probably um, debunked a few myths as well, and we can take a few learnings from that into the future in a sort of post-COVID world. And just last one, obviously, uh, we always talk about the rules and particularly what changes could uh, be made. We had the stand and mark rule come in this year, which I think by and large footy fans have been a fan on. Are we? Are you anticipating sort of any major change with the rules or tweaks leading into next season? If I sort of go back to the the adjustments that were made at the start of this year, of all, yeah, they all work in, in concert. We had um, decreased rotations. We had the, the kick-in sort of pushback to 15 metres. Quarter lengths were lengthened, you know, brought back to the 20 minutes, and we also had the Stan Markle, and they, and then the previous year with the 666 and others. So, I think we've seen some really positive things from from those. Um, and overall, I think the footy's been really good, more open, and um, and we've seen any team can win. And we've seen, you know, even a team like the Bulldogs, you know, sit first and second for a part of the year, fell off a little bit towards the end of the year, but then they, you know, got the momentum going, and they're coming into the grand final with a. Um, uh, some really good form in the last couple of finals. So uh, I think that the game's in really good shape. We will, again, like we always do, review at the end of the year. Um, but I think generally the game's in pretty good shape. So we would be, you know, I'd be taking that sort of viewpoint into the game, but working really closely with Brad, who comes into that, and that's really right in his purview. And he's a, he's a good man for that role, given his experience. And um, if there are any changes needed, we obviously... Uh, talk really closely with the players, the coaches, and then ultimately any changes to the laws would, would go through our commission. Andrew, congratulations on the new role and the expanded portfolio. Really appreciate your time and look forward to chatting to you soon here on ABC Radio. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Andrew Dillon with us, the legal and legal counsel and now the new general manager of footy at the AFL. Yeah, so interesting about the MRO and tribunal, isn't it? I mean, that is the big sticking point for fans around the country, in my opinion, about... The action versus the outcome and, and what the result is. I've said consistently that it's, it's well, it's relatively consistent with real life. So the, the other thing I think was interesting, even at the end, he said he was pretty happy with the way the game looks. So mm. um, I, th- I know fans are always like, leave the game alone. We don't need more changes. So I, I think that the game's in a, in a pretty good state and I wouldn't mm. anticipate there'd be sort of major changes over the off season.
I was actually at a function yesterday in which Gillan McLaughlin and uh, Andrew Dillon were in attendance. And uh, in as part of his speech, the president of the organisation uh, spoke about umpiring. He said, anyone who's criticised or booed an umpire, I strongly encourage you to go and umpire a game yourself so you can see how hard it is. He said, and it would be much easier if some people just stopped changing the rules year to year, which uh, Gil and Andrew seem to take pretty well being in the room anyway. Uh, this is Corbin and Ben, ABC Sport across the country, voice of Goddard. Up next, Brendan Goddard with us in studio. Corbin and Ben, ABC Sport. What if our kids had the tools to end racism? Some kids are insulting me. It overwhelmed me. This school is taking part in a groundbreaking pilot program. If you have blue or green eyes, take three steps forward. This is not fair. To find out if kids can show us the way. Join Mark Fennell for the school that tried to end racism. I wish I had been in a class like this. So cool. Start September 21 on ABC TV and streaming on ABC iView. Corbin and Ben, ABC Sport across the country. The talkback number one three hundred five five eight triple two. Grand final week officially started earlier today. Ben on Grandstand AFL Sunday. Jack Viney joined us. Big talking point out of Melbourne's heavy hit out last night uh, was the health of Charlie Spargo, who left the track early with a left ankle complaint. Must admit he was walking around after the session without any ice on, just barefooted on the grass at Lathane Park last night. Here's what Jack Viney had to say about his teammate Spargo. Yeah, no, he, he's pulled up fine. He just had a little bit of, little bit of a jar of his ankle. So, um, you know, he, he's required... Um, he requires no, you know, further treatment or anything like that. You know, they're getting scans or anything like that. It was just a, um, a jar, a tweak of his ankle. So, I'm sure he's a bit stiff this morning, but, um, you know, off it up. And, you know, that's what, what we kind of deal with on a, on a regular basis is, you know, get little little jars of fingers, uh, knees, ankles, etc. But um, you know, he's a professional, and I'm sure it'll be 100 percent come Saturday. So no extra treatment, no scans, nothing like that. Um, so really nothing to see here on the Charlie Spargo front. He'll be totally fine. The other one, Stephen May, with that hamstring. So will he be ready to go? Seemingly he will. Uh, we'll speak to Brendan Goddard, who joins us once again, the voice of Goddard here on Corbin and Ben on ABC Sport. Welcome, Beige. Hello, Benjamin. How are you, How are you? I'm well. Ready yeah. to go. The Brownlow medal tonight. We've got a bit to chop up with you, but I know Ben wants to run his theory by you on Stephen mm. May, so we might just start on the race against time story, Ben. Well, I just guess, or I just wonder, BJ, and whether you've been in this situation where you can nurse it through at training, but when you go with a soft tissue injury, particularly a hamstring and a high hamstring injury, which this seemingly was based on where he was feeling, it just goes. <laughs> There's a lot of uncertainty around what you know about the hamstring. Mm. Me or yes, do you, you mean? Well, and, and, the, and the general public and the media. Yes. Well, do you think there's a chance? Can you nurse it through the week? Have you been in this situation, Beach? Uh, to put it bluntly, no. So mm. I had never done a, done a hamstring during the season. I did a minor th- th- kind of ping when I was uh, in a preseason, so middle of preseason, and I think I only missed a week anyway, so... A bit of awareness, so I actually I actually can't elaborate or help you on that scenario. Mm, but mm. that's that's what we don't know because no one has come out from the footy club or Stephen himself and given 
any diagnosis of the injury or if there is any injury, if it's awareness, if there's if they needed a scan, all that kind of thing, right? So mm. there's a lot of, you know, if buts and maybes about it. So your theory is uh, I'm not sure about it because we don't have I'd, enough information, do we? So I'm I good, just worry. Simon Goodwin here, Ben. I'm Stephen May yesterday. We will do part of the session. Um, you know, he's slowly building his program up, you know, towards his full training come the back end of next week. So um, he's in really good shape, really positive about where that sits with him. Um, and he's really confident in the way his body's tracking. So... Um, today's just a stepping stone in that process and um, you know, we're really confident that he'll be right to play. Yeah, how did you go, I guess, in the week of the grand final, BJ? How paranoid were you at training that you didn't want an incident <laughs> like Charlie Spargo to, to happen to you, that you were worried that you might get a knee knock or roll an ankle or do a hamstring and miss the grand final? Uh, for memory, I don't think too many of us were overly concerned because I think we addressed that issue that we'd train like we normally would, continue to do what we normally would. Um, so I don't I don't think anyone was, well, unless they obviously think about themselves and didn't say anything, but we kind of addressed that pretty early, I think, mm. on in the week and how we'd approach the week in terms of our training. So as I said, uh, I think it was yesterday, that generally I've found, and fo- as football has probably found, that the times you do go half kind of harded into contests or at training when you're doing contact drills is that kind of when you get injured. There's always a race against time story and you've had some famous ones at St Kilda and Nick Rewald obviously before one of the grand finals but and we ask all the players about it so we're like how's Stephen May's hamstring going and I mentioned the Charlie Spargo um, grab or asked Jack Viney about Charlie Spargo earlier today. As a fellow player how aware are you or not aware as to where your teammate is on their, their road to recovery if they are battling an injury before the game? Uh, I think, like, at times like these leading into a grand final, you're hyper-aware. Yep. Uh, probably that scale probably depends on who the player is. So in this instance, probably everyone's well aware of how Stephen's feeling and, and what it's like. So, um, And in our instance... From memory, Rui kept it under wraps pretty well. I think that was a general or a conscious decision from everyone just in terms of the medical team, himself and, and Rossi, just to keep it really low-key. So, one, it doesn't disturb us or get us worried, but then it doesn't leak as well. So, mm. um, his was around of an adductor or something, I think, in 2010, maybe? Yep. Yeah, in uh-huh. Collingwood's. Um, the drawn and whatever. So... Uh, yeah, so you, you, you're well aware, or you, it's you're kind of hyper aware because um, I think I may mention during during the year and whatever you'd have a brief conversation with the player and just trust what they're telling you. They're generally pretty optimistic, so it's yeah, no, I'm all right, mate, like whatever. But I think in in situations like this, everyone everyone's hyper aware. Would you be chatting to him? Yeah, properly? you don't want to, you don't want to overplay it because you don't yeah. want to make it you know put it at the forefront of his mind and everyone else's mind. So in those instances, you trust the player in particular. You know, Stephen being a more experienced player and then you trust the medical staff and everything to get right. So what, what? there's obviously some awareness there or there's something, obviously, right? Based on what happened last week, he's not fully training this week, you know, away from the group. So there'll be a time where he needs to cross a bridge and that bridge will be running at full pace and change of direction. So mm-hmm. that'll they'll leave that as long as possible, which, as we know, week off, he benefits from... You know it more than probably anyone, um, so they won't have to tick that box until late next week. But they'll 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 had a, they would have set a plan from when did they play Saturday? Uh, Saturday, uh, Friday night. Friday, Friday. Probably from Saturday, late Saturday, they would have had a plan literally day by day, 
you know, even hour by hour leading up to the grand final and all the boxes he needed to tick from a preparation point of view and then physically uh, what he had to tick at training to get through and, and you know, put his hat in the ring. Uh, the talkback number for the voice of Goddard is one three hundred five five eight triple two. This is Corbin and Ben on ABC Sport across the country. Just a little more from Jack Viney this morning. This is him on the training session last night. No, we we had a pretty pretty heated hit out last night. Um, you know, I'm a pretty big believer in um, you know you got to train hard to um, you know play well. So yeah, I gave it a real real hot crack, um, and hopefully puts us in good stead for. Uh, yeah, you know, in a week's time. It's so unusual, isn't it? A build-up we've never seen before to think that you'd be having a, a hard sort of match-sim <laughs> type setup. whereas I imagine in the grand finals you played in, Beach, it's just sort of recovery and a light run and then getting no, the legs no, sticking no, over. No. You had proper sessions? Yeah, we had our normal thing. Wow. And we would often do, not when you say match-sim, it would generally be like stoppage to forwards or the, for memory, those our main tressing, sessions we... I think we may have ran about maybe five to six minutes of a like match practice. Yep. Um, but specifically focusing on certain things, each team would have something to focus on. Or, you know, you have your your A team and your B team, which probably Melbourne did. I think I read they had the, the team, the 22, most likely playing in the prelim and outside of that. So uh, they continue to train together to keep, you know, trying to improve. Essentially, that's the message during the year and that's what you continually think about or that's the mindset you're in anyway because, mm. as we know, it's be all and end all but uh no no it was very much try and keep it as normal and possible normal as possible and that's why these two teams are here because generally they've formed great habits from the preseason over a long period of time that this week should almost be an autopilot based on all their habits um and all their good mm-hmm. habits that they have formed so but you'd uh, have you'd have tackling at training and everything yeah. Yep. And was, did, did you ever have to sort of have a word to the guys that are sort of player number 23, 24, 25 just to sort <laughs> oh, of ease there was it down always, a There bit? was always a quiet little word from time to time. <laughs> <laughs> Probably, uh, I think they were just a bit more well uh, aware of it, sorry, in grand final. They couldn't step, you know, or cross that line or go overboard. But there was, <laughs> that was funny that actually there was a few, always a few guys mm-hmm. that you need to have a bit of a chat to. Let's go to the phones then. One, three hundred. Uh, Triple two five five eight. No, you've done that is, the wrong way around. So one three hundred five five eight triple two. Well, that was I thought the do number. Ba- I, that's all right, but you do things backwards in Perth. Keep going. <laughs> no, we do. That's how the number's written. But I actually doubted the way that it was written on the sheet that we have. I thought whoever. Are you, had so you're blaming it down, someone else for that, are you? Oh no! No, you, no, I you got it wrong. You you, I, you didn't write that down. Someone else did, and you just read no, it. No, I out. thought I was correcting it on the fly, but I've got it wrong. One three hundred five five eight triple two. The Taralgon Tiger is with us. G'day, Taralgon Tiger. Hello, fellas. Yes, one three hundred five five eight two two two. The Taralgon Tiger is our most loyal listener. Mm. Listens to our show every week, Monday and Thursday. So uh, I really appreciate the call. Now that we're on the Big Boy Channel here on ABC Radio. Beautiful. I'll Do you still live in Taralgon, or are you just from Taralgon? Yeah, I saw it in Toralgon. Actually, I'm not a Maui boy, but I, uh, I dance car the Toralgon. First of all, on, on Brown, on um, hamstrings, the Josh Adai car will be up and running for the Mighty Melbourne Storm next weekend, so that's the most important uh, yeah. um, hamstring in my mind. Mm-hmm. The Fox. Uh, one one word answer, please, Brendan. Um, Premiership or Brown Low Metal? Oh, please. That's an, I don't even have to think about that. Can you please um, just give me your answer? Thank you. Ben, <laughs> you can't, you ben, can't, you can't, you like? can't share Brownlow's and individual awards with anyone, mate. I can share I, a premiership with more than just the twenty-two teammates. I know where Taralgon's going with this because 
I asked that very question, Brendan, of our very own Corbin Middlemass and very much one for uh, individual awards and individual accolades <laughs> and not so much the team. He did not say He Brownlow. answered in a heartbeat the Brownlow medal rather <laughs> than a premiership. So I think that the question was was disguised a little bit with the Liberatores, I think. So it was either, would you rather be Tony Liberatore or Tom Liberatore? And I said Tony, and then I said Brownlow, and then it's, I fell into it too far, but you've, you've have caught me out here. I'm, I'm boxed You're not getting yourself out of this hole. I'm not, no, you can't. I'm not getting out of there. No. I'm not and getting no, out I of think, there. I think Ben's reply to me on Twitter was a stupid answer. <laughs> <laughs> what did I say on Twitter? Yeah, you said stupid. <laughs> oh. I think I was talking about Corbin. No, uh, I appreciate you call the Trelgan Tiger with us uh, off uh, the top. So, and just like you don't, you know, besides your, you know, yourself and your teammates are happy for you and your, your direct family, but a few supporters. But how many, how many more people are you making happy by winning a premiership than an individual mm. award? And and more than that, BJ. I mean, you you play football and team sports for that that connection with your your mates that you're playing right. with, and it it's the greatest thing that you can share. It's it's so, about. Oh, did we talk about it on this program? It's about being part... I was just watching the, the replay of the um, Western Bulldogs and Sydney match and the end of that game. So uh, I don't want to sound like a, a sad sack, but, it, you know, it's, it was depressing. Seeing the, the elation, you saw them run down, you saw Bevo and the coaches run down on the bench a minute with a minute to go celebrating. It's like, never got to experience that. Mm-hmm. It's, um, that's, that's the elation you get when you're... When you're a part of something, you feel a part of something, you set goals and you literally, not not only the the, uh, f- the uh, players themselves, so the 45, but the coaches, and then you've got the footy club itself. It's like everyone's on this path and they've got on the bus together and you've got to the final de- destination. It's, and we, yeah, we obviously never did, but to have that elation and relief, it, it's something, that, that's what you're searching for. Mm. That's why you wanted to win premierships because you wanted the feeling. You didn't want anything physical in terms of a, a cup or a, a medal. It was about a feeling, and it was about a, you know this the a satisfaction, a feeling, of satisfaction of achieving something great together. Do you still do you still get joy on grand final day as a no. as a former player? You don't Mm-mm. you don't look Mm-mm. at it and go, "I'm happy for the guys that won." Or it doesn't no, no, I'm very I'm very happy. I'm very envy. It's yeah, it's like a depressing feeling. But I was just thinking about it then. It's it's jealousy. I think it's je- it's je- it, it, I don't like the word. To, uh, mm. jealous, envious is the jealous. right word. It's envious is yeah. the word. You're envious yeah. that you never got to experience what they're feeling right now. And not many people do. That's And that's why, yeah. you know, they're so elusive and that's why they're so cherished is because, not you know, there's only 22 out there, the coaches, 45 involved, but fans, obviously, but, you know, it's you're kind of one club of 18 that get to experience that once you can experience it and celebrate it for a long time, but you generally get that feeling of elation straight after the game, after the siren blows, only once out of 18 teams and clubs that year. Paul is the next of our callers, wants to speak about Stephen May. G'day, Paul. G'day, gents. How are you? We're well, thanks. BJ. Yes, Paul. Um, I was listening to the forum this morning and um, they said that uh, Stephen May got through all right with their scratch match. Yep. Um, he just trained. He didn't play in it. Oh right, okay. Or train. Well, he, Sorry, he didn't yeah. train in it. Rather than yeah, keep going. Yeah. Well, they said he got through all yep. right. Um, he surely like he's he's a gun. He, he won't miss the grand final. I mean, I'm a bomber supporter. Don't get me wrong, but um, he's one of their big guns. So I don't think he'll no, be. he is. But if 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 he's unable to tick a box late next week, 
then there'd be serious doubts over whether he could play and get through a whole game for his team. Because, mm. as you know, you've got the one sub, which is great up your sleeve, but if he was to run out there underdone, literally, um, not knowing, but thinking he can get through a game and literally do a proper hammy or whatever it may be in the first five minutes, they've used their sub already, so uh, they're essentially one down if anything else happens. And we've seen, especially games like that, you don't want, you don't want to be one down on the bench for a significant period of time in the grand final mm-hmm. when you're literally throwing everything you've got at him. So uh, he'll do everything he can, but he's ticking boxes. What, the way I read it, it's, it's, I think it's minor, if anything, and there might be the old awareness, back-related. I like they use that straight after the game, I think, yes. the back-related hammy. Um, but he'll be ticking the boxes now, which is fine. So, yes, he's tick, 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 and then he'll have that big uh, that bridge to cross late next week, as I mentioned. Uh, we'll get into some Brownlow chat on the other side of the latest from the ABC News as well. Brandon Goddard was one of the favourites going back to 2010, leading into Brownlow Medal Night. So we'll chat to Beige about his experience. Where was Paul from, Ben? Uh, Yarrawonga. Yes, he was from Yarrawonga. Yep. Is that the home of the Pigeons? Is that from, they're from Yarrawonga? Yarrawonga Pigeons? I'm not sure. Or if I mix I that up with of... one of the other Is that Fev's old territory? I think it might have been. Uh, John's in Bendigo. Hello, John. Uh, look, I might speak to Brendan Goddard, please. I'm, spe- here. I'm here, John. Go for it. Yes, Brendan. Uh, I, I know Essendon had uh, lost that Nick Hyme, which I don't know. That was, to me, that was just ridiculous why he couldn't play. But in a way, he's a very attacking player, and he's a, the main reasons why Essendon won their three games before the finals. And then they, when they played Footscray, they were just... Shocking when they didn't have him, and and I, I, when when they're in the middle of the ground, I, you should go down 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 the middle and <laughs> straight get down the middle, quickest quick way home instead of leading the wings. Uh, yeah, well, it was uh, that was he was a big loss as well as uh, Anthony McDonald Tip and Woody leading into that game, but I don't think it was just. Uh, you know, the absence of Hind is why they lost that game because the Bulldogs were outstanding in the second half, and and to be frank, Essendon just. We're not for it. We're both Essendon people in this room, uh, Corbin and I. So Essendon just weren't up for it. But Nick Hyme was a, a big loss. More of your calls after the news. So one three hundred five five eight triple two is the talkback number. The SMS is zero four three seven 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 four seven seven four. But speaking about quickest way home, that is the talkback number. If you want to uh, jump on and have your say, Brendan Goddard with us here on Corbin and Ben for the voice of Goddard. Now, Josh Dunkley was with us a little earlier today on Grandstand AFL, talking a little bit about his second grand final and what he would soak up the second time around that he didn't necessarily do uh, back in 2016 as the youngest player of their premiership team. Um, I haven't really thought about it too much, uh, other than it's a different lead-up, obviously, with two weeks uh, before the grand final. So probably more enjoying the training side of things. And um, normally in Melbourne, the weather starts to get a bit better. And the weather here has been pretty amazing ever since we've been here. So... I think trying to enjoy the training side of things and, and improve, obviously, as well, whereas last time it was a, you know, the prelim final, it all happened very quickly. So, um, yeah, the lead-in's been, obviously, a bit longer, so I'm just trying to enjoy that side of it and help the younger boys, you know, especially what, you know, guys like Matty Boyd and Bob and Bobby Murphy and that helped me with last time. Um, it's been able to pass that on to the young guys as well now, which is good. Now, I remember last week we chatted a lot about uh, this episode, which was happening in the Western Bulldogs' rooms after their victory last week. Now, Luke Beveridge came out and spoke during the week page about how disappointed he was by the fact that the leak 
had actually made its way online. He described it as that. And here's what Luke Beveridge had to say. I'm not upset, but we're disappointed. Yeah, <laughs> it's an internal thing. Um, uh, you know, unfortunately, it was a staff member. Um, and if, if phones are used... Um, I mean, phones shouldn't be used to record our players in the dressing room. And Is that an interesting thing to make public? That he was disappointed by the leak? Uh, well, he's got a, a, he answered it probably hmm. as honest as he could. And he's quick to point out the staff member. But, I don't know, it's, I love that phrase. He goes, uh, what do you say? He's not... I'm not angry, I'm, I'm not disappointed. Angry, I'm disappointed, yeah. Rossi used Corbin's that heard one. that plenty of times from yeah, his parents. That's right. <laughs> Such a mature, elderly thing to say. Um... Yeah, he'd be even more annoyed or disappointed than if they... I made mention that it's somewhat their fault if they hadn't educated everyone or made everyone aware that um, in that instance or even after it, look, I know you had your phones out, all that kind of thing. There was a number of players, I think Libba was seen with his phone yep. out. So players had them as well. But a quick conversation to say, look, you know, we're celebrating here, we're having a few drinks and it's fine. So there's not, it's not that that's the issue. It's just that you want to keep that stuff in-house and it... That you know, don't put that on social media. Don't send that to your friends or whatever, because we know how quickly that can spread, particularly through the use of WhatsApp. So, um, there, may, there should have been a quick conversation. If there was, then Bevo should be even more disappointed in that person that sent it out. Ben, no one loves an us versus them quite like Luke Beveridge, mm. and even if it's internally, he's happy to say, "Look, oh, players, I didn't want it online either, so I'm with yep. you, and it's all of us against everybody else." And whether that's an internal staffer or not, it's uh, it's it's all about our group. I, I thought. Clearly his answer post-game on the weekend where he had a, a crack at those who had questioned Adam Trelaw's form was was him trying to create that. Uh, we still don't know what their theme is this year. There was some suggestion that it might be something to do with Shawshank Redemption, but um, that's just a little <laughs> whisper doing the rounds. But, um, yeah, that, I'll be really interested if they do win the flag to hear what the, the hook and theme was for Luke Beveridge this uh, this run, this magic carpet ride like 2016. It's every footballer's favourite movie, isn't it, Beach? Sure, sure, yeah. feels like whenever you read the footy record and they have the player profiles, that, that's always uh, featured prominently. That, 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 that's, After the news. I can't be bothered thinking, so. <laughs> After sure, the sure. news, I can explain why that is, Corbin. ABC Sport across the country with Brendan Goddard for the voice of Goddard. Another whole hour to come and a focus on the Brownlow medal. To see who will walk away with Charlie tonight. The big hopes, Ollie Wines from Port Adelaide, Clayton Oliver from Melbourne and Marcus Bontempelli, the top three. Jack Steele also thereabouts in a number of the awards. We'll get Brendan Goddard's thoughts shortly. Off the SMS, confirmation that Yarrawonga are in fact the Pigeons. So thanks to Joe for that. Rob the road pilot near Kalgoorlie, one for you, Ben. Have the umpires been announced yet for this year's grand final? I don't believe so, have they? Um, might be announced tomorrow, but mm. I would think Matt Stevick would be there. Brendan considers himself uh, an expert on the umpires. Who do you think will be there, Beach? Brett Rosebery? Yes, mm. players love Brett Rosebery. Why is Brett Rosebery so popular with the players? Because... Uh, <laughs> He was the best umpire for a long time. Yep. Um, and just a you know, normal, average bloke. Didn't you know, talk too much. Didn't Yep. Didn't give too much He's, on the field. You ask most of the players, they'll say Brett Rosary was their favourite umpire. 
just one for you off the SMS too, Beach. Riley says, BJ, how close was Zach Dawson in missing the 2009 grand final? He was very crook. No, I can't remember that. Yeah. Was he? Uh, I'm pretty sure he's... I didn't think there was any issue with Zach because for memory, I think he, he played ahead of Maxie Hudgston. So I'm mm. not sure, did Max play the week before in the prelim and then didn't didn't get picked in the granny? They went with Zach instead, mm. um, which Max is still very disappointed with. <laughs> um, so uh, I, I can't remember that. No? Too, too, long, too long ago. Uh, one for Brady wants an update, Ben, of the WAFL. So Subiaco are through to the grand final. They won the major mm. semi yesterday. They'll play the uh, they'll play the winner of the prelim, uh, which will take place next weekend. South Fremantle will play either Claremont or West Perth. Second quarter action, seventeen minutes in. West Perth lead four five over Claremont two six. So an eleven point lead for West Perth in the SANFL. Woodville West Torrens, first team through to the grand final. Glenelg will play South Adelaide in the prelim. So same top five system. And the TFL decided last week, Launceston winning over North Launceston. So they won back-to-back uh, titles for the Blues. Uh, the Brownlow medal, Ben, is obviously on tonight. Uh, we've been speaking a, a bit about it. Uh, we've all had the opportunity to go to a, a Brownlow medal in the past. It's a very different event this year. Obviously spread across five different live sites. Uh, but Brennan Goddard, you were obviously there as a player and as one of the favourites going back to 2010. I know, mm. Ben, you've done a little bit of homework on BJ's form. I have. So Just 2000. Take the no, 2000. And <laughs> I'm sure you would have. What we will never know, BJ, is how many votes you left on the, the cutting room floor <laughs> as a result of the infinite sprays you gave to umpires. But I don't think you... it was. I don't think it was those years. But I think I'd. Uh... I created too many kind of scars early mm. earlier on. I think at that yeah. point I was, um, I think I was. I wouldn't say I was an angel, but I was a lot more polite to the umpires than what I was early days. You not the worst. Well remember early. the story I told? Not the worst not at the worst, St Kilda. The great Lenny poll- Hayes was the worst. Mm. You do poll really well early on in your career, and it does sort of just taper <laughs> off. So maybe that is a result of that. Uh, Only human. Say, we're not sure if that's causal or whether that's causation or correlation, but um, you polled 77 votes in your career, which is roughly one every four games. So one in every four games, roughly, Bede, you're in the best sort of three players on the ground. Um, 2009, you polled 14 votes. Mm-hmm. And uh, 2010, you polled 14 votes. So those were your two highest in both of those years. It was one with 30 votes. Gary Ablett in 09. And Chris Judd in 2010. So, what was, was your experience fa- in 2010? Who was the favourite? It wasn't Juddy. You were one of them. Yeah, mm. but, yeah but who no, was I the favourite? I think Dane Swan was Swan. the favourite. Yeah, yeah. yeah Juddy. And then he won it in 2011. Juddy was way back, wasn't he? Yeah, he. Was, I, I think mm. they won them the wrong way around. So when Swan was the favourite, Judd won, and then when Judd was the yeah. favourite, Swan won. Yeah, but but Judd wasn't in the conversation, even like top five no, that year. Not in 2010. Yeah, yeah. In 2011, everyone thought he was going to win three. Yeah. That it was given he polled so well the year before, and Swan actually came back and won that year. What's the experience like as a favourite though, Beach? Just no, just normal. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. I didn't. I, I knew I probably wasn't a realistic chance because of my track record with the umpires. So, um, uh, it, I don't know. Just it was just. It's the same. It was stressful lead up for the wife, so it made it a little bit more stressful than you than it, what it needed to be. It was pretty relaxed for, for males, selfishly. Uh, they had a lot more to worry about and to think about. Um, well, you, it you was know, grand pr- final week, both occasions for you mm, in yep. 9 and 10. Yeah. Uh, so her, her stress levels are high pre and post, you know, that, and then wake up in the morning and 
open the paper or dreading opening the paper with the best and worst dress for the for the girls and all that kind of thing. So, uh, yeah, it was pretty it was pretty low key for us. It was a matter of just rocking up, and um, I guess it probably made it a little bit easier for our preparation in terms of none of us like won. So, um, our lead into the grand final was pretty normal. It's just that uh, from it was Monday nights, was it? Uh, yeah, Monday night. Yeah, so Monday nights were just a little bit thrown out of whack, but it was early in the week, which made it all right. And obviously playing in Melbourne made oh, it a bit easier. I went to my first one in uh, the first one only Brown I've ever attended was 2019. So for, as a footy sort of nerd growing up, I was super excited to go. And the one thing which struck me was that it, you you think it's it's like a um, it's a function that's filmed and put on television when really it's a television event. It feels like you're walking onto the set of a TV show, <laughs> and you're just there as almost part of the live studio audience. And the fact that you're you know, an extra, it's a it's hundred yeah. percent what it feels like. And so then the wait staff who are almost like sort of TV producers, they're telling you the whole time to sit down, to get out of the aisles, go back to yep. the table where you came from. There's a countdown clock which sort of starts beeping from sixty seconds out before they come back from the commercial, and if you're not back at your seat. You'll shoot away very quickly, or if you're outside the room, you're stuck there. So you wait so they cl- yes. in the, in, behind the doors yep. until the next television commercial. So just to elaborate on that. You, as players, you get you get in there. I think you had to be seated by like six thirty-seven, uh, but they all tell you to get there at six. So you get those the drip feed of people coming through the red carpet, all that kind of thing, uh, and then you're there twiddling your thumbs for two hours and you're pretty restricted of where you can go and move, talk to, you want to catch up with a few people on different tables, but you're still pretty restricted in that period even though they're not filming. Mm. But they want you in there prepared, ready to go for an 8.30 start. I think it was television, as you said. So after every round or every break they throw to an ad break, you've then got, how long is it? Uh, Three and a half minutes. Three and a half minutes Mm. uh, to get up, go to the toilet. If you're not even back, it's not even within that three and a half. It might be within two and a half because they close the doors and everyone's going to be seated before the camera's back on. So it's not like it's three and a half minutes. You've arguably got Mm. two and a half minutes to go to the toilet, all that kind of thing. So there'll be, you might miss up. And if there's entertainment like after a round of counting, before another ad break, that could be extended. So you're outside for. I, I remember I got stuck for like 35 minutes one time because there was <laughs> yeah. awards one after another and then a, yeah. an entertainment or something was going on and um, Rosie's at the table by herself was early in my career and yeah, it's it, it's a pain. And yeah, and then, then the only time you can really enjoy it is like the after party um, afterwards because you generally get booted out straight after the television stops. Um, you can mingle for a little bit but then the lights come on and everyone's ushered out and asked to leave. So it's, yeah, it's a, it's... Yeah, more stressful than anything. You can't even if you're one of the favourites, you can't really enjoy it. And they're slow yeah. to give you drinks. So you're trying to have some drinks, catch up with the boys you probably haven't seen or whatever it may be, and and they're slow to give you drinks deliberately. Yes, <laughs> deliberately. And uh, so it's yeah, you know, man's on a camel. You need to you need to be, <laughs> need to be watered. One three hundred five five eight triple two. Who's going to win the brown load tonight? So if you've got a thought on that, one three hundred five five eight triple two. Yeah, it's a little bit like the tennis. You get sort of uh, locked out. You can't move in the aisles until the change of ends. So you just get stuck out there for a little while. Who wins for you, Beach? Uh, if, if if it's not one of uh, Oliver Wines, Bont and Pally would be a little bit surprised. But saying that, um, Oliver and Bont and Pally are probably could be victims to their teammates stealing votes of them. Whereas Ollie Wines, I don't think there's anyone that's really going to bob up. Might be the odd one here and there. So a lot of the games they win and win well, he plays really well and a standout in a lot of them. So I don't think anyone's going to take the three votes off him. So mm. Boak and you know, Amon and a couple others may get the the twos, the ones and twos. So he, 
Whereas, yeah, the other two, you you got, you know, McRae, who's had the most disposals in history of the AFL. Was he, I think he may have been second in the home and away season anyway. So yeah, that, that was grand final. finals. That was finals included. Yeah. So, uh, but Gaines, are, he'll, he'll take three. That We're expected that Bont will get three in his little, I think, period of six to eight weeks where he dominates. So, yeah, man, I, I public record on radio at the start of the year saying Ollie Wines, I did looked at the teams and looked at who could potentially steal votes off him and how well the teams would go and win, how many wins they'd have. And, and I fell on Ollie and he was at the time paying $81. So if only I put money on him back yeah. then. So Wines for um, BJ, Wines for Ben, and, and I'm on Clayton Oliver who won the ABC. But that, sorry, saying that too, if it's not Wines, then that's where I think steal. Um, and there was one other that may come into it. Even Sam, like Sam Walsh. Yes. In, in the, he's a stand out but someone some kind of because I still think like I wouldn't really do not I wouldn't do the Brownlow just it wouldn't really depict the best player in the competition respectively if Sam Walsh or Steele were to win it right because I think we all agree that those three guys hence why they're favourites have probably had better years yeah and this is where this is where things can get a little bit murky as well with the Brownlow in terms of the the umpires giving votes and how they give votes and how they're even able to give votes is is beyond me Mm. because I know as a player that if you if you if you knew who you played well after the game, you're watching or spectating too much footy, and you could get away with that when you're having really good wins, but and playing poor opposition. But generally, like you could get to an end of game, I couldn't tell you who played well, and like, mm. oh yeah, he maybe felt like he had a bit of it and did a few things. But generally, I'm I'm not watching footy. I'm not spectating, ball watching. Yeah. Just something that the ABC football... And, sorry, and it's the same for the umpires, is yeah, what I'm saying. They're, they're watching what's happening off the ball, off-field, um, uh, off-ball umpires looking at other things. and Yeah, so it's it's so hard for them. This is part of my theory on Clayton Oliver. So he polled in 13 games in the ABC football of the year, which was the most from any player in the competition. Uh, and I feel like our experts, and Beach, you're part of this, um, they don't generally just award votes to guys that top the stat sheet. So Clayton Oliver has some big games where he gets sort of high numbers... And I think you will sort of poll better with the umpires than what he has with our experts across the year. So he polled 30 with us. He polled in 13 games and seven best on grounds. I think we could see a couple of his ones and twos in the ABC award turned into twos or threes tonight with uh, with the umpires. Uh, so he polled in 13 games. Ollie Wines polled in 11. Bont and Pelly 10 and Steele in nine. The Bont had nine best on grounds in his 10 games. So when he played well, he was yeah. he was a clear standout as the best on ground. As far as the club voting goes, I know a lot of people are interested in who polls the most for their particular club. A lot of them are, are pretty clear. Uh, good luck picking the winner at Richmond and West Coast. Uh, we could really throw a blanket over Sheed, Gaff, Kelly, uh, and the same at Richmond with Dusty, Rewalt, and Bolton. We'll all poll around a similar mark. And should. The, the one, yeah, the one that's the big outlier for us is Jack Crisp. So we had Jack Crisp polling 13 votes at Collingwood to this lead. Is we, when we say we, so I, I, the, the ABC, ABC award, which is a really high number considering Jordan DeGoey is the favourite here to poll the most for Collingwood. Uh, and in the ABC award, we only had him as polling in three games and getting five votes. So there's a big discrepancy there, whereas yeah, Jack Crisp is probably a little bit of the outlier if you're you're looking for something a little unusual or somewhat of an anomaly in the way that our experts voted compared to um, mm-hmm. what conventional wisdom suggests. Uh, the phones one three hundred five five eight triple two. Tom in South Australia has been waiting patiently online. Tom. Yeah, how you going, mate? How you going, guys? Now, I'll get you. I'll get all. All use your point of view. What? Because I've got a few points to say. Be going my cup. Yeah. Quick, punch now, it out. Uh, positive. Brian Cook, 
best decision they made. Mm-hmm. And he'll bring he'll try he'll bring a lot of people to the club or he'll try to people. And nothing personal. They got it wrong with Teague Bolton. It's nothing against person again. They got it wrong. Mm-hmm. So now I think the club came to realization we've stuffed up for twenty odd years. Yep. Right. Line in the sand. So, so yeah. Anyhow, I'll get your point of view. The last <laughs> thing I, I don't see much. I haven't seen much of Sarah. How is this kid? Now we don't don't want to do the same mistake we done last and give away a draft pick. Is he worth picking up? So I want to get your views. Oh, so, well, uh, you throw it to Benny and probably Benny is probably seen more of him than the rest of us. A few bars on Adam Chera, mm, Ben. Quickly. Yeah, I, I really like him. I think he'll be a really, really nice piece for a long period of time. I'm not sure about the absolute upper echelon. He'll be a high grader? B, low A. High B, low A. Okay. What does he do well? Uh, uses the ball particularly well. Smooth mover. Um, some people compared him to Dennis in his... Sorry, compared him to Chris Judd in his Dennis? first season. Who's Dennis? I think... Dennis compared him to oh, Chris okay. Judd. Dennis <laughs> I think I gave away the name of the person Dennis who compared him to Chris yeah. Judd. So, um, that was a Freudian slip, but yeah. yeah. Uh, it uses the ball really well on both sides of the body. Smooth mover. Oh, well, so there's no can go inside, can go outside. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's, that's Brennan Goddard's take, little drive-by. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think he's... He's not explosive like Judd, so he's not fast. No. So he moves... He looks like he moves really well, and he's really... Um, so, so Dennis got it wrong. I mean, he's... Oh, it's comparable in other ways, but I don't think he's—I don't think he's super quick. So, for people that have this thought out there that he's this really fast, flashy midfielder, I'd, that's sort of not what I've seen. No, I don't—I don't think he's quite like that. Uh, it was Dennis and Jared Healy made the comparison as well. Um, he's a big ABC listener, Dennis. Still, yeah. anyone, where he started his career. So, anyone else want to chuck under the bus like here? On the... <laughs> <laughs> throwing him under the bus too much. What about Beach? What about Brian Cook? What sort of appointment does getting the CEO right mean for a footy club? Ah, uh, yeah, it's it's big. Um, the true be- uh, believer that I think most of us here and the three of us that the fish rots at the head. So it's a pretty good place to start and a, a place that's really important and important to get right too. So someone that uh, the footy department and the senior coach leans on heavily. Obviously, um, the general manager of football reports to him. Everything he's he's at the top of the list. So any everything funnels back up to him. So it's uh, it's really important. So it's a pretty big get, but. I don't know the 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 rumblings around, you know, the Clarkson and this is going to help their cause to have one last crack at him. Um, that just won't go away. But I'm not sure if there's we're not privy to any conversations that Clark or his manager had with Carlton saying, look, if if this were to happen, or they threw up the scenario if we were able to get Brian Cook, because this has obviously been boiling away for some time now, hasn't it? So you could probably mm. suggest that they'd had him in their sights or had conversations with him with him uh, even prior to, to speaking to Clarko. Yeah. Sure. They said, that what, what what if this scenario plays out? Does, does this increase our chance of getting you? And he might, you know, we don't know. So something could come of it. I know they've put together a panel and it's got board directors on there and Greg Williams seems to be sort of running point on all of that. David Park and some experienced footy people. But surely they don't just go out and appoint the coach now without uh, having Brian Cook sign off on it. That surely he gets some kind of say. Yeah, to be able so to exactly. Say. Yep. That's right, yeah. Do you think that slows down the process? It feels like all week we've heard, oh, it's either Kingsley or Voss. Uh, it should, very it should close. Cause, yeah. yeah, he should have a say in it. So if, unless, well, that's, it'll only slow it down, right, if he's disagrees with the, mm. you know, final two or two or three that they've suggested, or two in particular, mm. and then Gene Syracuse and even one of my, my man got brought up today that I just read in the paper, yeah. A. McWalter. Wow. That's a senior coach. Well, it said that he got interviewed, I think. I was meant to text him. It just reminded me. 
Mm. So Just text big. him now, Beach. Let us know what he gets back to you with. <laughs> Mate, he'll play, uh, he'll play the straightest bat ever. one three hundred five five eight triple two. John is in Jollymont. Hello, John. Yes, very good afternoon. Can you hear me? We've yes, got John. You, John. Good on you. Uh, last week, I think a very nice woman rang to say that uh, she thought the players might join in the national anthem, and you responded by saying that the synchronization of music made it very difficult for them to participate. Could you please explain uh, how, in Brisbane yesterday, the rugby players sang their national anthems with great gusto? Uh, no, she, so she called up saying that the, the players didn't look like they knew the words. And I said, that's probably because there is, it is out of sync in terms of the television, there's a delay. And what you're seeing and hearing on television is different to what we hear at the ground. So so players are singing it and they do know the words. It's just that they're either, I think it's behind, right? Behind of what you're actually hearing on the television. So the words... No problems for the rugby players. Sorry? No No problems for the rugby players. Uh, Yeah, he's saying there was no problems for the rugby players. Oh, so you could could read their lips. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. There you go. But that may be... Part of, I hope that answers your query for you, John. That's what. Uh, yeah, so, so her question was more around. Um, well, I think she asked the question: Did we? In it was Brett and I, wasn't it? That if we did sing it, and mm. we both said we did, I just, yeah, quietly, but um, I didn't belt it out. And then she <laughs> talked about just some of the players didn't look like they knew the words. Thanks, John. Phil is in Sunbury. Yeah. Good afternoon. Now, since Brian Cook has been appointed, I think I could solve everyone's problems at a couple of clubs. And I would do that by moving Ken Hinckley to Geelong because they love him down there. Chris Scott to Carlton, and that gives Michael Voss Voss his opportunity at Port Adelaide. Moving the chess pieces there. Mm. There's a lot of moving parts in that. Who who says that either of those three wanted... I don't, no, I, I don't like that's I, never happened, has it? No, but I don't mind the theory. Two coaches swap teams. It's, it's juicy. Imagine that. No, how little coaching merry go right. All three of them. Th- all three yeah. of them change teams. Chris all, all, got to Carlton. Oh, that's right. Michael Voss vacant. takes yeah, port. So all three of them get new jobs, but two of them change teams, and Voss mm. gets a Port Adelaide team. That's and he's drawn the, the parallels between Ken Hinckley playing his football down at Geelong and mm-hmm. uh, Chris Scott's relationship with Brian Cook. So uh, there's a bit in it. I like it. Phil from Sunbury. This was Chris Davies during the week. He's just waiting on Michael Voss to work out whether he's coaching Carlton or not to decide what Port Adelaide are doing with their football department and their assistants. Look, I'm not the type of person that's going to wait forever. Um, and Michael knows that. That's that's not anything that we don't discuss regularly. So I don't, I don't want to seem too cold here, but I can be pretty cold in these situations. If, if we get to a point where we need to make a decision, then we'll make it. And you know, Michael will have to live with that. Chris Davies, the Port Adelaide footy boss, there on uh, Michael Voss's availability. That's, that's refreshing. That's that's how generally how it works. But I don't think that needs to be. It's either he's mm. the senior coach at Carlton or he's still at Port Adelaide, right? So there's only yeah. yeah. And I well, think the, the weird thing is, that, so Chris is saying they need an answer short term. But um, Ben, my understanding is no one's working in the footy department of Port Adelaide yeah. until the end of November. So really, they've got six or seven weeks to decide what their football department's going to look like. Well, they're already on. It's only now. one appointment. So, it's not like they're. It's, we requested to speak to someone from Port, and we were told that apart from their best and fairest, which is coming up on one Friday, uh, no one the football department's on leave until November. So I don't anticipate they'll have any role to play in the mm. trade period. 
Well, that's and uh, I would have thought this would be sorted before they all go on What's Voss's role at Port Adelaide? He's an assistant coach. I don't know yeah, which line he's a, got. It's just a line coach. They've lost, yeah. on a serious note though, they've lost Schofield, Schofield. as yep. well. So they'd be panicking in the sense that no, we but don't they, have Schofield anymore. They would have known, they, they would have known that for a while. Yes. Because that they, I know it doesn't always happen. And, um, teams kind of buy by it. That, but that cutoff rule for coaches that if they, if they know, or if the club knows that they're not going to be there next year or they're going to offer them a contract, they've got to tell them by a certain date. Mm. Yeah. But it's the same. It's two-way street that if a, if a coach knows he's leaving, then it's his responsibility to go and tell the footy club, which then gives them time to prepare. So they've had some time to prepare for Schofield. Agree with that. I, I've so there should to... only be one vacancy if Voss was then to leave and then they have to appoint, and that's not going to affect anything. Mm. I, I wouldn't have thought. I think that's a bit of a... I've spoken to a number of assistant coaches, Beach, who say that that's a... You know, it's good good in principle. Yeah, it, doesn't it doesn't happen so well, it much. Doesn't happen. They say, yep. yeah, 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 we'll stick with you, we'll stick with you, we'll yeah, stick no, with no. you. No, we won't. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah. So I said, it's meant to be. Yeah. There's a date. But if Schofield, which got reported weeks ago, right? Mm. Yeah. If he had known that, that would have been bubbling away for some time. That The point that he made the decision, that he would have had to tell the club. That's the only, that's the right thing mm. to do. And it's disappointing we won't be able to hear from anyone from Port Adelaide was um, sort of my point underneath all of that. We were hoping to, to speak to someone involved in the club this week, but as we heard, off until uh, until the end of November. Uh, just on the Western Bulldogs, they have 14 players going to the Brownlow tonight. So interesting setup at Perth Stadium where the main event is going to be held. The votes will be read out there, but it will be hosted from Melbourne where Hamish McLaughlin and Jackie Felgate will be. The votes will be read in Perth. And then there's two breakaway rooms where the Western Bulldogs will be in one, Melbourne will be in the other, and the rest of uh, those in attendance will be in the main room at Perth Stadium. So uh, there'll be a fair few cameras set up, but why are there 14 Western Bulldogs players going and only six from Melbourne? Josh Dunkley earlier today on Grandstand AFL Sunday. Yeah, um, well, we, we don't know anything, if that's what you're asking, mate, but um, yeah, it's just nice to be able to support the boys. I know Bont, Liver, Jacko uh, and Baz are all going along as invitees, so hopefully they poll well and I think for us, it's more just trying to show our support uh, for the boys. And obviously, we're a very tight group. And being away together a lot this year has helped us get a lot closer. So to be there, to be able to support the boys. And if it is for, if Bond's fortunate enough to, to win the Charlie, then that's awesome. If it's Jacko, if it's someone else, then, yeah, obviously support them. And, and uh, yeah, enjoy the night. Josh Dunkley, earlier today. You're, so You're trying to join the dots saying that because they know something? Is that what you're suggesting? Well, are you saying why have the AFL invited 14 or allowed 14 and only six? Only six from the Ds. You, do, or do you reckon the Ds only took up six of the 14 invites? I think if, if, they, had an, if they had more players that wanted to go, I'm sure given the scenario, they would yeah. have been able to go. So it's probably just like, yeah, I'm happy to let's, go. Let's remember too, the Dogs have been in quarantine for uh, yeah. plenty of time over the last more than 14 days, given the fact that they were in Tassie, then Brisbane, then um, Adelaide and Perth, and they've been under hard restrictions. So they probably want a night out. I feel the boys have to take up the invite to You do this at the Brownlow to to too. Brownlow. Did you notice that like the votes coming up and towards the end of the, the count that where there's a camera hovering around one of the leaders at the top of the board, you're like, he, he's, got, he's getting votes in this round. <laughs> he, they're waiting to the flick to him, and he's got the camera on him. He's, he's going to get yeah. the votes here. But they, know, they know it's coming. It's worse at the lower levels too because uh, things – I remember we would go to the Sandover Medal every year, the mm. WAFL's best and fairest, and it wouldn't be a live event. And so it would get right down to the end and you'd have this tense finish. And because there'd be so few cameras in the room, the camera would go to one table and the poor <laughs> bloke, there was a chance on the other table, you'd know that he wasn't going to win because the camera had moved elsewhere. It's, it's a great opportunity to tell our all-time favourite Brownlow Medal story, Corbin, which uh, the late, great Ken Judge would want us to tell, that uh, he was sitting – on the table next to Scott West in the year that 
Shame why Woden won the medal. Our now colleague, Melbourne um, Brownlow medalist. And can, as Scott West polls and goes ahead of Shame why Woden um, or draws level with him, Ken Judge turned and leant over to the table next to him and said to Scott West, mate, congratulations, you've won the Brownlow. We played Melbourne in the final round and there is no chance <laughs> that Shane Woden, Woden polls. And then uh, I think they're still picking Scotty West up from off the floor after mm-hmm. Shane Woden got the two votes and went ahead and won the Brownlow medal. Uh, We've got 10 more minutes. What was, what was his stats in that game? 18 and one, I think. Ooh. And But I think the point is more so that like, Adam Uze, I think, kicked five. There were multiple guys that had over 30. And while we had 18 and one and, and got theories. two. Mm. Uh, Ten more minutes to take your calls with Brendan Goddard, voice of Goddard here on Corbin and Ben, ABC Radio across the country. Next, the number is one three hundred five five eight triple two. Ten minutes. We have lines available. This is Corbin and Ben. G'day Australia. We're here to share some vax facts. If you get vaccinated, you're less likely to get COVID-19. But they also reduce your chances of passing the virus on to others. We all have to get vaccinated. The vast majority of us. I'm looking forward to making people laugh in person. I'm looking forward to going dancing. I'm just really looking forward to never having to watch the daily press conferences again. When it's available to you, please get yours. As we love to say, Beach, is a bit of a disclaimer. We're not a stats-based show as part of our broadcast team, <laughs> so we don't really fall into this. We can when we're not at games. This, <laughs> this is back to 2000, round 22, Subiaco over West Coast and Melbourne. Uh, ben, Stephen Powell, one of your former teammates, yep. Beach, 32 and kick two. Yep. Brownlow medal votes that Kicks night. Kicks opportunity, though, Powley. One. Uh, Adam Uze, 29 and five. <laughs> That's a big How many votes did he get? I told you he kicked five. He got three. He got three. Yeah. Guy Rigoni, 28 and one. No votes. Cameron Bruce kicked four goals and had 19 touches. No votes. And then Shane Wowoden, 17 and a goal. Oh, he must have I like, said 18 he must and have had six pirouettes and took, took 10 bounces and took a so specky. I, I stand a, with Judgy. I think he was right. Well, we probably shouldn't have polled, but the blonde hair and the bright boots got no, him the two that's votes. That's another reason, mate, the that the umpires shouldn't vote. And nothing against him. It's just too hard for them. Uh, Don's... I know while he's going tonight, so I think he's already mm. on his way. I hope he's not listening. Correct. Don is in Waterfall. Hey, day, isn't he? Hasn't he talked about it before? Fire away, Don. Yeah, good day, fellas. Listen, just, just make a quick point. Um, I've made it before about this, uh, this pre-final and pre-grand finals. By I mean, I've been... Um, the season loses all momentum. My team, Geelong, got knocked out. But like even with the you know, Melbourne Western Bulldogs, you look forward to the game. It's like there's nothing happening this weekend. There's no Aussie rules on in Victoria. I just checked with someone telling me. Uh, if I was an NRL administrator or a, a rugby union one, I'd be wrapped because this weekend I've watched the two rugby yes. league finals and the rugby union where Australia played um, South Africa. <laughs> Has so, your opinion changed of the game, though? Regarding what? The rugby. No, mate, I follow Melbourne Storm. Oh, you love I, it. I, I, yep, I, okay. I follow both. I, I like, <laughs> I'm talking to the I, wrong bloke then. <laughs> I, I like sport. I follow all codes. This is why I can't work out. And I know McLaughlin saying, yeah, well, well, we can. Um, we need we needed to get the other side out of quarantine. Uh, BJ, if I was you, I couldn't think of anything worse than Melbourne than sitting around in a hotel room for four weeks 
waiting to play a game of football, even if it is a five-star resort, okay? Yeah. I mean, you'd just be twiddling your thumbs yeah. the whole time. I mean, it should have been played this weekend. Let's let's get serious, mate. I mean, uh, what, what's, the, what's, what's, the, what's the motive of the AFL? I mean, why the hell do we need to get rid of this buy? I mean, the season loses all momentum. Uh, why, why isn't more being made about this seriously, okay? I mean... No, we, it's, it's been talked about a, a hell of a lot, but I think it was just prepare for the worst, and it, it, mm. when they need to make a decision, it was all, it was literally worst-case scenario. So if anything did happen to players, uh, you know, staff of footy clubs, that it only takes one person to, you know, one, get symptoms, and then worst-case scenario, two, get COVID, and then literally everyone's in lockdown and the whole thing's... Comes falling mm. down. Well, so it, yeah. it's to give, it's to buy them time. It was, it was all about buying the time. This is not a permanent thing. And you want them out of quarantine protocols if they win the premiership. It's, it's, it's not ideal. I think even the AFL admitted admitted as much that this wasn't really part of their plans to have a buy here. But imagine the Western Bulldogs win the premiership, say last night, and it's time to celebrate. And all we have is they're not allowed to interact with the crowd or touch anyone. Yeah. You can't have any of the dignitaries or anyone out on the ground or the Oz kick kids trying to present the medal to them. All these things wouldn't have been possible if um, if they hadn't cleared quarantine measures. And so as part of their agreement with um, the, the government, that's why it had to be. But I, I agree with the sentiment, Donna. It does lose a whole lot of momentum. Uh, Marcus in South Melbourne. Marcus. Oh, good afternoon. I'll be quick because you haven't got much time. Took Miller for the... Uh... Took Miller for the brown low because I don't think anyone at the team was yeah, taking votes off him, so I put a lady. How many is he, how many, how many is he polling then? In how many games? Uh, I reckon he's got 20 from what I've worked out. Yeah. I, hope he do, I hope he doesn't win, Marcus, because he's ineligible, but uh, <laughs> yeah, he, he, he can oh, poll the most right. votes. Yeah, I know, yeah. I know. Well, so was uh, Chris. Chris Grant, he was. So Chris mm. Grant was ineligible too, wasn't he? He was. Mm. I, yep. Quick coaching changes. There have been big changes at our Freo this year. Uh, some of us are very happy that David Hale's going back to Hawthorne and he's no longer our forward coach. We've had him for 10 years and we've had the worst forward line in the league. <laughs> um, and just quickly, my South Adelaide, they're in a grand final. I can't believe it. They and Melbourne both won the grand final in 1964, yeah, very and good. haven't won Ooh. one since. Very good. And Glenelg, who was the top team at the end of the season, lost to the Eagles today. Uh, yes, yeah. So they yesterday, yep, they lost their uh, their major semi-final. So South Adelaide will play in the prelim next week against Glenelg. But appreciate your call, Marcus. There is a bit of movement at Freo, isn't there, Ben, on the the coaching stakes? Yeah, there is. I wouldn't be coaching surprised stakes, if coaching cycle. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if Jamie Graham bobs up there. Mm-hmm. So uh, West Coast assistant uh, has been in the running for some gigs like the Collingwood gig. Uh, good relationship with Justin Longmuir. Uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't be overly surprised if he's maybe the forwards coach next year. We're on the clock. Cor- Corbin and Ben with the voice of Goddard, Brennan Goddard in studio. Jeff and Latrobe Valley. Jeff. How you going? Listen, just um, quickly there. It's been a hard season. The AFL has done a wonderful job. Keep things going, and mm-hmm. I, it's the kind of play they have it. But on, on the second note, now that Brian Cook's gone to uh, Tigers, I'm still looking for a coach. Might I put forward Bomber Thompson? Work for him in bloody Geelong. Yeah. Uh, no, I don't. I don't think Bombers, although he's recovered really well, I don't think he's. In it, I don't think he's in a frame of mind to go back into coaching. I don't think. Uh, we'll take that as comment from you, BJ. Uh, Dan from Horsham on one three hundred 
double five eight triple two. Hello, Dan. G'day, fellas. How are you? We're well, thanks. I'm sorry for asking that. Somebody <laughs> said yes. <laughs> Self-awareness, very good. Whoops, sorry. Good. Um, listen, one, just one thing. The Brownlow Medal is is a tradition that has been judged by umpires since it began. Mm-hmm. And we have the ABC Awards and we have the Herald Sun Awards and we have the uh, Coaches Awards and the Players Awards and everything else. If If... The people that run all the other awards don't like the way the Brownlows won. Then they need to do something about their own awards and leave the Brownlow alone. It is an umpire's award and it's cherished. I agree with Dan's sentiment Mm. here where the players talk all the time about, oh, it's the Players Association MVP, would rather win that, would rather win the Coach's Award, and yet the one that still has all the glitz and glamour and everything around it is the Brownlow. It has a certain mystique to it so um, it's, it's that the players can actually enhance their own awards if they treat them more seriously give them a bigger platform talk about them more no one ever says oh you know i'm so happy to play with my teammate the mvp whereas we'll refer to brownlow medalists and all the rest of it it doesn't feel like it has the same um gravitas and i think until that shift takes it doesn't place, have the same tradition but so yeah. if you're tra- traditionalist you don't want to see it uh the voting removed from the umpires right but i just think to get the legitimate, legitimately get the best player that year. I think it has to be. It's left to. It's like not left to chance, but it's it's too hard for the umpires to pick the consistently pick the best player on the ground and therefore reflect the best player that's had the best mm-hmm. year and be, the best and fairest player for for that year. It's and and it's generally midfielders because on your comments before, Corbin, because they're under the umpires in play umpire. They're under their noses twenty four seven. So if they're ever going to notice a player, it's mm-hmm. going to be someone that's literally under their nose. More often, or more than any other player, or, or in a different position than a midfielder, and that's why they generally just—it's a—it's a midfielder's award. But I think, yeah, other players that have great outstanding year that arguably been the best player that year, you know, Ruckman, like Grundy from a couple of years ago, been gone for a year or two. Mm. That they need—they so, need to be a chance to win these awards, but they're not because of the situation how the voting is. So Am I Bont wins, in saying that. Yeah, so Bont wins the MVP as voted as the best player by his peers, do you think he was the best player this year or do you think it was someone else? Uh, yeah, well, I think he's in the conversation. Yeah, I, th- I think he, he can throw a blanket over a number of them. Yeah. I don't think there's anyone that maybe like a red-hot favourite, like a who was the last one, maybe Dusty, that was clearly the best player. that, And it worked out that way, but it's other years there's been a red-hot favourite and he hasn't won. Yeah, if the umpires come back with, say, Wines, Bont and Pally, Oliver tonight, I think everyone will think, yep, that's yep. that's a true reflection of the year that I'm happy for them to be the, the best player in the game. Uh, Kim's the last of our callers in Adelaide. Kim. How you doing? Yes. Look, um, my comment was really about the um, NRL finals and uh, the fact that the commentator on both nights um, explained rules. You know, he explained that they they realised there was a lot of people watching mm-hmm. that wouldn't normally be watching. And so they were taking advantage of the fact. And uh, what's more, I think it's very good because they're both wonderful spectacle games and um, I enjoy watching them both. And you know what? As far as I'm concerned, I reckon Max should be in the um, running for this as well. The big fella. I appreciate your call, uh, Kim. It's it's a good point. Ray Warren uh, has long been the, the NRL caller on Channel 9. He does the same thing for State of Origin, uh, and it's great awareness to be able to 
uh, and yeah. Yeah, an ability as a broadcaster, Ben, to be able to commentate to the diehards as well as to the casuals to be able to teach them a little bit of the game as they go through. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm glad that Kim highlighted that. Not, there's not much to teach about that game, though, is there? Oh. Yeah, playing hopscotch with that line pretty well, Rabs Warren. So very, very smart. Uh, Mitch Cleary's about to join us. Before you leave a speech, this was earlier today. Uh, Jack Viney was with us, and Brett Delidio had this question to him. Now, the Brownlow's on tonight, and there's two boys that are highly touted in Jill, uh, Christian Petrarca and Clayton Oliver. Out of those two, who would you least like to see win it? Whose head would explode and have the most <laughs> wobble around the place? Oh, I'd probably be track. Really? He's got yeah, he's got he's got the most energy out of the uh um I the probably the more talkative uh out of the two of them. So if either of them does win it, you'd, you'd hear about it from um track most, I think. Clary's a pretty um uh he, he just goes about his business, uh, not much fuss. Heading into the last round, if Oliver Petrarca and your good mate Ollie Wines are all equal on votes. Who do you want to see get the nod? Uh, three-way tie. It's <laughs> <laughs> a very diplomatic answer from Jack Viney. Did you ever have that feeling, Beach, going to the Brownlow where you thought, damn, I hope one of my teammates doesn't win here because we won't hear the end of it? Did you ever actively root <laughs> against one of your teammates? <laughs> I don't think... I think Lenny was... Nicky Dell had a year, didn't he? Yeah, he but I don't, I don't think he was a favourite. That, yeah. uh, that would have been bad if he'd won. <laughs> that would have been in that category? Oh, that would have been... Uh, a head wobble of, you know, for eternity, as long as he lives. Uh, we will hear from you, obviously, tomorrow. <laughs> Still talks about it, I think. Brings it up there. He finished, what, he finished top three or something? Good on you, mate. He was a place getter. You're, uh, you're a second, third loser. We will hear from you, obviously, before next Saturday night. I think you're in next Saturday as uh, as part of our grand final coverage in the build-up. But quick tip, Beach, who's uh, going to Melbourne. win? Melbourne. Sa- Melbourne will win. Yeah. Confident? Not really. No. Anything can happen in grand final. Two best teams. So, should go down to the wire, I hope. I hope it's an absolute nail bite. Mm. I hope I hope it's a draw. A draw. And it goes to extra time. Yep. Do you know much about draws in yeah. grand finals? I don't know about <laughs> playing extra time at all, but Yes. Yeah. I know there is <laughs> I've experienced the result after a draw. That was enough. Uh we'll chat to you across the week, Beach. Thanks for coming in. Thanks, boys. Voice of Goddard with Brendan Goddard every Monday on Corbin and Ben, and here we are on Sunday. And he's with us here as well. The best newsbreaker in footy, Mitch Cleary up next to chat a little bit of trade news. Corbin and Ben, ABC Sport. It's coming. The 2021 Men's T20 World Cup on ABC Sport. ABC Sport now has its very own newsletter and we'd be pumped to have you on board. Woohoo! The ABC of Sport will provide a wrap of all the best stuff that's happening in sport every week. Simply go to abc.net.au slash connect and get ready for a sport hit. In your inbox every Friday, starting soon. Get on board with the ABC of Sport newsletter. For content that makes you think. Or allows you not to. Ben, ABC Sport across the country. The best newsbreaker in footy, Ben, is Mitch Cleary, and he joins us uh, again here on the show. G'day, Masai. Good afternoon once again, boys. You were with us a little earlier today. We did set you this task. Uh, you are famous, of course, on the AFL website for doing the Coaches Pressure Index. Tell us a little bit about what that is, firstly. So ranking the coaches 1-18 to 18 each preseason as to who's under the pump and... Uh, who's least under the pump, so usually gets uh, a bit of reaction. This year it was Simon Goodwin 
Uh, funnily enough, going into the season, they'd missed the finals for two consecutive years, and uh, now he faces uh, an AFL grand final. So uh, it can turn pretty quickly. Ken Hinckley, I think, was in the hot seat the year before. All right, Mitch, give us your top five then. What is your uh, your top five heading into 2022 for your coach's pressure index? The man under the most pressure, I think, Hang on, start at number five. Oh. All right, well, I've just given that away. <laughs> uh, I'll go the other way then for you, Ben. Number five, Matthew Nix. It'll be year three next year. Uh, he comes out of contract at the end of 22. I think he will be re-signed soon enough, but... The wheels have just got to start turning for the Crows, I think. Uh, you want to see them jumping out of the top four, uh, the bottom four next year. In fourth position, I've got Adam Simpson. Uh, I don't think it's panic stations just yet, but if they have a poor start to the season, I think uh, the nature of West Australia, as you'd know, Ben, uh, mm. we'll just start to see a few snapping at his heels. Uh, he did win the Premiership in 2018, but uh, their season this year with 10 All-Australians on that list was really disappointing. Number three, Chris Scott. Um, if he is remaining there, I think there's still a bit of water to go under that bridge, but he's contracted until the end of 2022. Still only one flag to show for his time at the Cats. None in the last 10 years, despite those preliminary final runs. Uh, he's got to start uh, showing up, given Hawk and Selwood, Dangerfield, are all on the other side of 30 now. Number two, Brett Ratton. Uh, it'll be year three for him at the Saints next year. Similar to Goodwin sort of going into last year and then this year. Sh- showed so much early early doors, uh, Brett Ratton at the Saints. But a really uh, underwhelming season in, in 2021. He can't have a repeat of that next year. And then number one, as I gave away a little earlier, Stewie Jew. I just think, yeah, it's season number five next year. It's gone quickly for him. Uh, with so many players like Lukosius, King, Rankin falling out of contract at the end of 22. Uh, to make or break year, I think, for the Suns because they've been through a few rebuilds already. They can't go through another next year. This is a fascinating list too, uh, Mitch, obviously given the the looming spectre of Alistair Clarkson returning to the mm. coaching landscape. So it would be fascinating yeah. to see with a boatload of con- uh, coaches off contract leading into 2022, how many of them do you think will actually enter the season on their last year? Whereas we've seen so many clubs... Uh, sort of hesitant to do that in recent times to obviously put their coach in without a year to run or at least a plus one on the end of it, whereas there's a bunch of them, aren't there, off uh, off at the end of next year? Well, for context, heading into this season, it was only Damien Hardwick and Nathan Buckley that were out of contract heading into 2021 beyond the season. So we know what's happened with Nathan Buckley. Dimmer got his uh, extension, which was a fait accompli. Obviously, David Teague has lost his job, but he was contracted until 2022. I don't have the exact numbers. I think it'll be upwards of seven or eight, I think, out of contracts right wow. now for the end of 22. And mm-hmm. I was interested in your comments with, with Matt Finnis on Corbin and Ben a couple of weeks ago, saying they're not in a position to start talking uh, right now. That, that does interest me, given where the Saints sit. Uh, I spoke to Brett myself a couple of weeks ago for afl.com.au. He said he was comfortable to see it rolling through till February, March, until they started conversations. It is rare, though. Clubs like to see their coaches go into a season out of contract at the at that season, they do like to have them with a bit of security beyond that. I know Dave Matthews the same. Where mm. you know, as much as they all tell us how how well Leon Cameron coached this year, and he did, uh, it, it feels like well, okay, how come he hasn't been offered a, a contract extension as yet? And Stuart Jew is obviously another one who's, who's off contract at the end of next season. So the list: Jew at one, Brett Ratton at two, Chris Scott at three, Adam Simpson at four, Matthew Nix at five. One name who you haven't got on there: you've got Chris Scott. Ken Hinckley's in an interesting yeah. position as well. So. He's obviously made back-to-back home prelims and they've dropped both the games. So 
it feels like, Mitch, the coaches we're talking about here are either the guys down the bottom of the table that, you know, the output's been, been low or the guys at the top of the table that have been successful without having the ultimate success. Yeah, and Hinkley wouldn't be much behind that list of five. The only reason I left him out was their list is a little bit younger than Geelong's to compare with Chris Scott, and Ken does have one more year left on his contract beyond Chris Scott. Now, Adam Simpson's got a couple of years left on his contract, but his team missed the finals. The other one Corbin mentioned a little earlier uh, off-air was the Carlton job. We're yet to see who is named in that position, but given Luke Sayers, the incoming president, has indicated that they want to be playing finals next year. This list is built for the now. They've had so many years underpaying their salary cap, paying 95% of the money required. They've gone and got Saad, Williams. They'll they'll likely get Chero this year. George Hewitt will come through the door. Whoever walks into that uh, could well be in the top five by the the time next season rolls around. I agree. There's no grace period there for a new coach, which is is so unusual. But, um, yeah, they'll be expected to win from day one. Mitch, what about the player movements? Adam Chera, where is he most likely to land as it stands right now? Still Carlton, Ben. I think given they've got that pick six on the table, Melbourne is the club uh, a lot of others are linking him to right now. But their first pick in this year's draft is pick 30. And then even if they were to give up next year's first rounder, no one is banking on that being any earlier than pick 15, 16, Mm. given you would expect them to finish top four next season. So unless it's a player, unless it's a Luke Jackson, unless it's an Angus Brayshaw thrown into that conversation, uh, I, I don't see Chera going anywhere other than Carlton. The other part of the, the Chera conversation is he's really close friends with Ed, Ed Langdon uh, from their time at the Dockers together. Ed Langdon obviously about to play in a grand final for Melbourne. So that could sway his decision, but his management in Connor Sports Management, uh, they're famous in footy circles, Ben, of not going and not announcing a, a home until they know that their player can get there. That being, uh, they know that the club is going to have the picks or the, the deal to suffice in that. So we saw Robbie Tarrant uh, this week announce uh, Richmond as his home. Well, he hadn't really announced his intentions to leave North Melbourne until he knew that that deal was set in stone on the table from Richmond. He's managed by Connors as well. So that gives a little insight into the thinking uh, and the manoeuvring of these player agents. Uh, don't forget the official player movement window doesn't start for another, uh, what is it, yeah. three weeks from now, two weeks from now. So there is a bit of, bit of time, but... Um, I can't see Chera going anywhere other than Carlton at this point. So is that that's a strategic thing from um, Paul Connors and his management team to, to basically say, look, every option's open until it's not? Yes, pretty much. Um, and He's the know. best in the business too, so yeah, he, he, smart. He'd be, yeah, he'd be well and truly up there. And, um, you know, they have a stack of conversations behind the scenes. We know that... Uh, you know, the, the Tom Lynch deal that he helped facilitate with his uh, colleague Robbie DeRazio was, was facilitated 12 months earlier. Now, Lynch was a free agent, but these deals are spoken about for a long time, but they just don't want to go public with them until they know that their player can get to the home uh, and a deal is actually going to be uh, likely to be done. And Ben, that's why Mitch is one of the best newsbreakers mm. in the business, because he has to deal with trade managers uh, or tra- uh, managers regularly. And you said that Paul Connors was the best agent in the business, and yes. Mitch's response was he would certainly be up there. He's well, in the mix. Yeah. They're you all don't know there. who's listing, Corbin. There would be many <laughs> other agents listing, and you have to deal with them all. I've got a, a list of about 10 I have to ring tomorrow. So uh, yep. they, will, uh, they, they, want, they don't want to be hearing that when I'm uh, about to phone them at 9am tomorrow morning. Mitch, will pick six be enough for Chera, or will there have to be some steak knives? Because Fremantle would say, look, we took him at pick five. Mm. We've invested four years of development in him. He's about to enter his prime years as an AFL footballer. How are we regressing from pick five to pick six? Yeah, I'm with you on that. And Dion Presti was a pick six when he went from Gold Coast to Richmond. He was two years older than 
Chera at that time. He was a little bit more injury-prone than Chera as well. He may have had a few more runs on the board in terms of his playing career, but they're about the same. I would be, if I'm Freo, I'm asking for a little bit more than, than pick six in saying that, as opposed to other deals we've seen in recent years, like, say, Gibbs or Beams and these other players. Chera is out of contract. So they don't have too much leverage the Dockers. They've got some, but they don't have a great deal of leverage given uh, he's out of contract and he has requested a trade. I saw Mabi Chol announce that he's going to the Gold Coast next week. You reported that Jake Kelly's going to Essendon. Uh, they're both under free agency. Free agency window hasn't opened yet, and yet one manager and one client was super confident that, yes, he's going to this club and announced it publicly, whereas the Kelly stuff hasn't officially been confirmed by the club other than your reporting of it. Why has one been made public and the other hasn't? Uh, it's up to the managers, really. So Adam Ramanaskis, who we hear on ABC Sport regularly, is the manager of Jake Kelly. We might have to put that to him next time he's on air. But um, all that the, the players and, and clubs really do at this time, Corbin, is is announce that they're requesting to leave. Now, you saw North Melbourne's release yesterday with Robbie Tarrant. He's a free agent like like Chole and Jake Kelly as well. North Melbourne didn't put in that release. Where they, knew, they know that he's going to Richmond, but they didn't put in there. That's because it officially doesn't open until October 1, the free agency window. Trade period opens a couple of days later on October 4. So it's down to the different agents. Uh, might have been a bit of a leap of faith from Ralph Carr, Marby or Charles' agent to do that, but uh, he's pretty new to this game, Ralph, and uh, he's a bit more of a, you know, he, he mixes with the entertainment side of things. So yeah. uh, I'm pretty sure he was pretty happy to have that out in the open. That's showbiz. Yes. Yeah, Mitch, appreciate your time. Uh, we'll chat to you soon. Obviously, the player uh, movement um, space continues to heat up as we get closer to the end of the season. I'll chat to you then. Mitch Cleary, the best newsbreaker in footy. Judging by history, they're overrated at this particular time. Yeah, very overrated. Yeah, very overrated. <laughs> Oh, underrated. Underrated? Yeah. Oh, that's underrated. That's awesome. All right, it's a very simple concept, overrated, underrated. I throw something at Corbin. He tells me whether it's overrated or underrated. If it's good, then it's underrated. If it's bad, it's overrated. The Brownlow medal on Sunday night, Corbin. Overrated or underrated? Mm. Slightly overrated just because it's always been on Monday night. We like it on Monday night. It starts the week. Something different to watch on a Monday night, but um, it's essentially signalling the start of grand final week, so I'm not too bent out of shape by it. Gillan McLaughlin's delivery on Brownlow Medal Night in comparison to his predecessors like Andrew Dimitri, overrated or underrated? Underrated. I think Gil's got a bit of flair in him and he, he senses the occasion and knows when he needs to insert the dramatic pause, so I think he does a pretty good job. Rarely stumbles. Smooth operator, Gil. Certainly is. Um, Speaking of which, I was at the A-grade amateur grand final here in WA yesterday and Gil McLaughlin was there to toss the coin. Had a bit of rock star vibes about him, mm. Gil. Lots of people asking for selfies with Gil McLaughlin. So getting a selfie with Gil slash Gil the rock star, overrated or underrated? Not a big one for selfies, but uh, it's all part of the week, isn't it? I, mm. uh, all you West Australians over there, Ben, just all the... What do you call them? The wise men from the East, as was in the Eagles theme song, have, uh, have made their way over to town. So, yeah, if you, if you spot Gill and get the chance to snap a photo with him, sure, it's slightly underrated. The red carpet at the Brownlow, overrated or underrated? Uh, overrated for me. It's, it's not something that I pay close attention to, but uh, for 
uh, I, I would get a very different answer. It's a it's a great opportunity for um, for partners to, to head along, and if, if you're big in the fashion stakes, it's an opportunity for for you to shine. So they would say underrated. Another fashion question: the black tie the black tie dress standard at the Brownlow overrated or underrated? Underrated, sharp. Give the women a chance to shine on the on the red carpet. Uh, the idea of changing the voting system, i.e. coaches, umpires voting for the Brownlow medal. Uh, sorry, people other than the umpire voting for mm. the Brownlow medal. Overrated. I know Brendan's keen for a shake-up, but I'm happy enough for the umpires to do it. I think more often than not, if you look back over the last 20 years, well, we'd probably only have two occasions where we thought, oh, maybe that player yep. wasn't the best in the competition. Okay, a couple of other ones. Perth or WA's footy fandom? How it's rated in Victoria. Is it overrated or underrated? Underrated, but seeing a little bit more of it this week. Hardcore footy state. Uh, it's a thrill that WA get the chance to host the grand final. So, um, yeah, that it's good on them. The 9pm curfew implemented by the Ds. Overrated or underrated? Last one. Underrated. Eyes on the prize. It's not about going out and having dinner. It's about winning flags. Uh, that's it, Ben. We're back tomorrow from 5 o'clock Eastern on ABC Sport Digital. Enjoy your grand final week. Certainly will. Speak to you then, Corb. Brownlow medal coming up tonight. Thanks to Craig as well, our producer. This has been another edition of Corbin and Ben on ABC Sport. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.